still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through Right here on another day One of the last days of spring here as we get ready for summer I am the great Brian Last. I'd like to announce I'm stepping down as host of the show. However, I'm going to retain all of the duties I had as host and introduce this man, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette. But now, wait a minute. Which one of your daughters is taking over as host? We're having an internal battle right now. I have three Stephanies all fighting with each other. I don't know what to do. And they're all fighting because none of them want to do it, right? Yeah. Hey! <laughs> no, we're going to have but a good time part today. part where you're supposed to disagree with me. I meant no, of course not. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, well, you know, we had a couple of days away from all of the drama and the strife and the turmoil of the big corporate world and all the goings-on and et cetera, et cetera. A nice holiday weekend, Father's Day. What did you do for Father's Day there, Mr. Father? I watched CBS Sunday morning with my family. We had a nice late breakfast brunch with, of course, French toast French and French toast, fries. Yeah, yeah. French and toast and French fries? Yes. I don't care what time of day, that meal is the perfect meal. But anyway. What other kind of French did you get on Father's Day, Daddy? You're getting a little French with me right now, sir, and I don't like hey. it. But what I was going to say is also we just kind of had alone time, which is one of Daddy's favorite things. Everyone go do your own thing. Leave me alone. And... <laughs> I was presented with some gifts, which I like, and some cards, which were beautiful. And then Daddy closed the door and worked on some Lego for a few minutes. <laughs> Leave Daddy alone for Father's Day. Well, after a while. After a while. it's like, After okay, a while. I've seen everyone's show. It's time to uh, do some Lego. Well, I had a wonderful Father's Day. Because, hey, you know, it's been the heat wave here. And by the way, a lot of people have have written in on, on the Twitter machine and the various forms of communication we've got these days to say that they appreciated the talk that we had the other day on dew points and how they affect the weather and the comfort of the weather and the, t- the temperature and the humidity and et cetera, et cetera. They learned something, and they were shocked and amazed that you were frivolous, just frivolous, just filled with frivolity, about not caring wh- whether you knew the dew point or not. What other important statistics in your life are you blissfully unaware of? We're, but anyway, so it's been real hot over the past week, 95 degrees plus high humidity. And Father's Day weekend 
the Saturday and Sunday, it cooled off and the humidity went away like magic. Now, it's going to be 100 degrees, literally, in Louisville this coming week. Air temperature, not even figuring in the heat index. The heat's coming back. But for two days, we got a little break. So I've had to do a variety of things uh, business-wise, stocking the Cornets collectibles, interacting with the feather bottoms on the inventories, all these things. But even though I had some other things to do, I ran this by Stacy. I said, now, I owe a bunch of people phone calls. I should call people on the phone. But it's Father's Day. And most of the people I'm overdue on calling are male people who would potentially have children, grandchildren, possibly even great-grandchildren. And also, I'd like to get out and piddle in the yard. And I got to email people. And I know you can email any day, but... Piddle? God, I hate to email. I like to piddle in the yard. You know, go out and do little chores, little tasks, not labor myself into a stroke, but go out and be productive, piddle around. Now, I'm a big piddler. I picture you just flapping your hands a little bit while you do that. I don't know why. Piddle. You piddle around. But that's not doesn't have anything to do with the flapping of the hands. You can you can piddle without with your hands in your pockets. You're just piddling around. But anyway, and so I said, and I you know how I hate to do emails, and I'm so behind on those anyway, and it's just dawning. You gotta sit here at the in tied up looking at the computer screen. And I said, Would you think ill of me? Would anyone think ill of me? And she answered for everybody. If I went out and piddled in the yard on Father's Day, it's gonna be such beautiful weather. And she said, no, you should do that because it's Father. And you like to do that. So I get up early in the morning and I open the door to go out in the garage, start getting my implements. And the first thing I see is the garage floor, a giant area of it is just covered in water. What the fuck? What the? And it's, it's all around the freezer that we got in the, in the garage with the excess foodstuffs stored therein. And I'm like, but it's even if it fucking died and melted, it's watertight. How the fuck? And then I hit here water, even though it ain't raining, it ain't gonna rain for another fucking week around here. We're in a drought. I hear water hitting the garage door. And I see a little stream come out. What the fuck? I raised the garage door and Brian the day before, because I did believe I mentioned a drought. It's been so dry it hadn't rained over a week, however long it's been. The previous day, I drug the hose around so I could water the dogwood. I got a big property. Everything else is on its own, but I water the dogwood, right? So as I've run the hose around since I'm going to it a couple of times a day to give it the good watering and everything, I just leave the hose out there by the dogwood tree. It's running right past the garage. And overnight, whatever causes these things to occur, a hole has popped into the goddamn hose. The hose is spraying out the side of the hose directly in the crack in the corner underneath the garage door. It is shooting water into my garage. Motherfucker. So I got to go out. I got to climb over the thing. I got to turn the spigot off. And then I unhook the section of the hose the whole night. That's the way I start my day. But I found, all right, it's going to get better from here. So I go out in the side yard, and guess what I take with me, Brian? What's that? Oh, come on. You know what my favorite tool is. You're not listening to these, these talks that we have anymore on these programs where I talk. The limb lopper. 
the Limb Lopper and the it's a combination Limb Lopper and Ding 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 Limb Lopper and what uh the the <laughs> the rod. What the fuck was the name of the rod? Yeah, the rod. There you keep going. Keep going. For when you look for water. No, that's a divining rod. Divining rod. rod. You, you're no, divining rod and your limb lopper. I've already found the water. You're not listening to the story that's coming out of my... I got plenty of water. It's all over the garage. It's the pole saw. It's a combination limb lopper and pole saw. A 20-foot telescoping pole saw that I'm so proud of with that dandy blade that just cuts through anything like a like a hot butter through knife as as a famous wrestler who I cannot recall did the promo. Who said that? I'm trying to think who it was, uh, but he said it. I'm going to go through you as in Memphis. I'm going to go through you like a hot butter through knife. But anyway, <laughs> so I take that out in the side yard over underneath the big old ash tree, the 100-foot-tall spreading ash tree. And I got some trees over there on the side. I, I pole saw and I limb lop and I make me a couple of good big brush piles, getting all the dead wood cut out and everything and trim off some of the fence over there. And I bring everything back to the brush pile and I water the dogwood now that I've taken that section of the hose out of the bad section out. And I said, now I got to do one more thing. I got to go back to the new fence and I got to count fence posts because I got to order the post caps. So I'm going back there in the far corner, in the woods back there. And right as I'm almost up to the fence, I see the the foliage rustling, and I hear something fall, and I see something moving. I'm thinking, oh, shit, the deer is going to run out of the, the bushes there. And son of a gun, it was a human being. Come to find out, the, see, he was over in my neighbor's property, the lady that lives next to me. She has not... Well, she and her husband passed away some years ago. Let's face it, it's been about 30 years or so since anybody has addressed trimming anything off the back fence row of her property, which connects to mine. And the guy that lives behind her in that subdivision, one of them is over there in the woods trimming out dead limbs with a limb lopper. Because he's looking out the back window and he's seeing the dead limbs and it's bugging him like it's, I found a kindred spirit. I thought it was a wild animal. It's the neighbor back there in the Southwest Quadrant. Have you seen him before? Never seen him before. Well, because he's he's just now cut down some of the bushes. I'm saying this was, it's quite thick back there. There was a, a fucking vine hanging off one of the trees, but I couldn't grab around with both hands. It's been several decades since people have cleared this thing because it was just a farm back there, right? She hadn't paid a lot of attention. Anyway, so he's he's got a ladder, and he's and I mean the, her old back fence is the original fence. The posts were wood, and they have all rotted and fallen away. So the barbed wire and the rusty wire from the fifties is just hanging in all the bushes that have grown up. So there's not a fence there. There's just a lot of tetanus-inducing rusty wire, and all these dead limbs, and there's some of the bushes he's cleared off on so that he can plant some things, but it's a, it's quite primitive back there, but he's, he's trying to climb his ladder. I said, but I said, you might fall and, and, you know, puncture an artery. I said, you know what you need? You not only need a limb lopper, you need a pole saw. 
And he said, yeah, I was going to get one of those. I said, I know exactly where one can be found. And so I go back to the house and I go back up. It's because here I feel a kindred spirit. And also it's Father's Day. And here's another person adjacent to me that has decided that on Father's Day, he needs to go out and cut some dead limbs out of trees. And it's and it's it's adjacent to my property also where I can see it. So he's improving my view. So I bring the pole saw up to him and he gets and I show him how it telescopes everything and the limb lopper and the and I said, well, I bet you you could reach that big old dead limb right there. He said, yeah, let me try that. I handed over the fence to him on the other side. And it's my tree, right? Big old tree has this big old dead limb that I saw the other week. And I was going to, I said, God, I'll wear my shoulders out. If I try to use this hand pole saw to cut that big old limb, I'm going to wait until I've got one of the Monroe's with pole, with the uh, chainsaw and they can get up there and a ladder and do whatever, you know, they're, they're great chainsaw jugglers too, the Monroe's. But my new neighbor that I've just met, Mike is his name. He starts into that thing. And he sawed that limb right off for me. And then I pointed out a couple other ones to him of my tree, but it's over on the other side that is in his view that he could cut off. And there he was just sawing away while I was pointing things out. So I, I loaned it to him. I said, just lean it back up here on the tree. When you get finished with it, I'll come back tomorrow and get it or whatever. But I had a nice Father's Day afternoon lopping limbs. Well, I can't say sawing poles because actually that, that doesn't really work, but you know what I'm saying. And then Father's Day dinner, Brian Lee, you had the brunch. You had the French toast and the French fries. Guess what we had here at Castle Cornet for Father's Day dinner? Three guesses? Well, if you need them. Emo's pizza? No. Cheeseburgers? No. Emo's pizza, cheeseburgers, something with meat and cheese. It's <laughs> not a burger. Um, you don't eat chili. You never brag about chili. Well, no, Stace makes great chili. But you don't. Nah, they wouldn't eat be. That, eat that on occasion, but. But that's not a Father's Day dinner. Not for really you. a Father's Day dinner, no. But you also like random things just baked, like oh, I had a roast of this or that. Um, <laughs> that roast possum was really good. Steak. No. You are incorrect because it's not the week for Omaha Steaks. <laughs> we did that last week. We had my world-famous chicken fingers, fried potatoes with onions, biscuits and gravy is what we had. Because I know some people are going, well, Stace didn't cook for you. No, because here's the thing. I wanted to do this because I've been so busy for the past few months. I've not cooked any of my specialties, my world-famous dishes. I have not had that opportunity, so I've been eating other people's food. So since I knocked off early after I was a good neighbor and got things done in the yard, I decided to cook dinner. And we had chicken fingers and fried potatoes and onions and biscuits and gravy and raspberry preserves, and our lips smacked our brains out. You seem French rather, toast and French fries. You seem rather proud of your chicken fingers, little boy. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, how do you prepare them? I prepare, well, I'll tell you exactly how I prepare them. <laughs> I take in great the, detail, please. In great, in great, minute, hey, there's no wrestling on TV we need to talk about today, thank God. 
Uh, you take the chicken breasts and you slice them up into the fingers and you take your crack, you crack some eggs and you whip it up and you dip them in the egg mixture and then you roll them around in the Andes hot and spicy chicken breading. And then you drop them in a deep fryer for seven minutes and then you bring them out and be careful when you first bite into them because you'll scald your tongue off and they're delicious. And you can, as I said, we, we can go with the sausage gravy or you can also go with ranch dressing for dipping or you can also Chick-fil-A sauce. is They sell that now and I get around the loophole of Chick-fil-A's owner being a religious lunatic and anti-gay and et cetera, et cetera. By, because the Chick-fil-A sauce that they sell in stores, all of the proceeds of that goes to benefit an education program for their employees. You see it in the stores? I haven't seen that. Yes. Oh, I got I to gotta look for Big that. Big old jugs of Chick-fil-A sauce. But you can dip these fingers. You can dip a finger of mine in anything, and it'll taste good. Well, that remains to be seen, but let me ask you Have this. Have I ever given you a finger? Uh, no, no, thank you. How come you bought a chicken breast, not chicken tenderloins? You were just going to cut it into fingers anyway. Because, of, well, what are you, just goddamn frivolous with your money? For I'm heaven's frivolous sake, with you, my you money. Know they, what? They charge you more for chicken tenderloins, which is basically a sliced up chicken breast. Then, then they do the regular. Uh, we get the the packages of the chicken breasts all sealed up hermetically. It's been on Funk and Wagnall's porch since noon today from Costco. Big old uh, six packages of two chicken breasts each, all wrapped up and sealed up, ready to go in the freezer or the fridge or whatever. Farm raised. I I don't know whether they're urban, suburban, city dwellers. They might come. They might come from Manhattan. I'm not sure. Were your chickens murdered, or did they die of old age? No, all these chickens were driven to suicide. They were uh, given a steady barrage of AEW television, 24 hours a day, until finally they all, in mass, uh, jumped off the coop, the top of the coop. I don't know where we're going or how. Uh... <laughs> you asked me a question. All right. How much more expensive a tenderloins than if you just buy the giant chicken breast and cut it yourself? That, you get fingers the size you want them. You how big are the fingers? Of, think of think of how much better life would be if you could determine the size of the finger you got rather than just taking somebody else's decision on the size of the finger. See, you'd improve your life immensely. I am in control of the size of my fingers. I don't know who's in control of this show, but ladies and it's gentlemen. It's your show. Apparently so. Oh, and which we've had some complaints on. And we've got to bring that up. Um, no, and we were both, you and I were both disturbed on it. It was nothing we did and nothing we were in charge of. But apparently, on a couple of the programs recently, there have been an ad advertising that was snuck in on us without us knowing or without our people knowing, because we got people in charge of this shit and they didn't know about it. It was one of these other platforms that we go through, but there was an advertisement for Parler, which is the right-wing lunatic version of Twitter, as if Twitter wasn't bad enough to begin with. And we have, we have made contact with our people who were upset about it also, and they are 
in the process of putting a stop to that. Is that the latest update you got? That's what I heard. Yeah, as soon as we heard the second complaint about it, and we realized it may be more than one person just having an issue, we immediately got in touch with our team, and they are on it. That's the exact term. They were horrified, too. No one really wants any association with this brand or this company. And of course, if you're someone interested in Parler, hey, just go and jerk off into a sock. There are other things to do with your life. What? Jerk off into a what? Instead of Why joining you- Parler. Why would you want to do that to perfectly good fucking clothing? You know what kind of a laundry situation that, well, then, it didn't do you, see, I do my socks with my towels, because I wash them on heavy duty. Get the towels and the socks real clean, because they go through a lot of abuse. And I wouldn't want to be putting socks like that in with my towels, because then you're rubbing your towels, well, you don't know where all these things would would cross-contaminate. So they should just jerk off, but leave the poor sock out of it. You never know when somebody else's laundry could be involved. It's your television program. It's my television show, but yeah, those ads will be gone if they're not already gone very, very soon. And we apologize to anyone who was bothered by them, but we were bothered as well. And uh, The last thing we want to do is offend anybody here. If we offend anybody, we want it to be the right people, not our people. If we're offended by Parler, we don't want to offend any other people that are offended by Parler. And again, it's all about what offends you. Someone put the tweet up or put the quote up on Twitter the other day. I apologize for any noise behind me right now, but they put the quote up on Twitter the other day and it was, Whatever you said on the show, you cannot yell at wrestlers. You can fuck a paralegal and give her $3 billion to go away. Yes. Do you realize a lot of people have realized that Vince paid more for sex than he did for WCW? Isn't that crazy? And again, $3 million. Now, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but $3 million divided by 150 bucks. What would that be? Uh, let's see. Hold on here. Let me do that. Uh, carry the two. Divide by three. Put the aught over there. Decimal point. Roundabout. That's a leap year. We're not talking about that. He could have. Yeah. Well, you got to figure that in. Comes around once every four. He could have basically, at $150 per appointment, had 20,000 hookers for the same well, amount of money. Why are you always obsessed and, with him and getting hookers? But now, wait a minute. If you're, if you're going to pay, then just eliminate the goddamn uh, discomfort through the the initial part of the relationship and get straight to the transaction. Now, if taking this math further, that 20,000 hookers, that would be a hooker Every day for around what is this? Hold on, carry two divided by three. three so that'd be 10 years. It's, oh, God. It's, it's in the middle. I Almost 50 years. <laughs> so, the point is, do, do the math there. Either way you look at it 20,000 sexual exploit, ex- exploits, exploits, or one a day for 40 years or so for that same amount of money. Jim, I have pulled up here, according to ZipRecruiter, an online source, I guess, for finding people jobs or whatever the hell goes on on this website, the average paralegal salary by state. Now, again, the 
woman in question was making $100,000, WWE paying her $100,000, starts having an affair with Vince McMahon, all of a sudden gets $200,000, then gets moved to working for Johnny Ace, then leaves the company for $3 million with a non-disclosure agreement. In two years. In two years. In Connecticut, the average paralegal salary is $49,925. Okay. And that's in the state of Connecticut. That's not just nationwide. So she started out at... I didn't know that the WWE was that charitable with their employee salaries since they went public and everything. According to this, you know who, which state has the highest average salary for paralegals? I do not. Tennessee. 51612 Well, that just doesn't make any sense at all, does it? <laughs> you would think in New York or California or some major... I'm not saying that Memphis and Nashville aren't big cities, but you would then there's... I, well, it's the music business down there. I guess a lot of people get sued. Oh, see, I was looking at the other way. I'm not saying every town is Barberville, Kentucky, but I've seen enough towns to know that there are several. So maybe someone with a mind may make a little more money because we need someone like that. It's your show. I guess so. There it is. She was making double. She started with double the average salary for the state and then got a 100% raise. That's well, where she they did a good job. Apparently that's where they're going to get Vince justify a paralegal getting that raise in year two. What kind of job did she do? Well, now she was hired as a paralegal. When she went over to work for Johnny Ace, maybe she was then segued into another position. And she was, she was turned over to another <laughs> department. Maybe they or, gave her a commission for everyone Johnny Ace laid off. <laughs> Every single wrestler they fired, she got a bonus. She's the, she's the <laughs> one that wrote the paperwork. <laughs> Yeah, we got rid of another. Here, here's your commission. <clears throat> All righty then. All well, right. now you see where due points, paralegal salaries were filled with uh, a fountain of information here. We, we got, let's, uh, before we go into any more silliness, uh, too late maybe, but um, let's acknowledge a couple things that happened this past week. Um, Dave Hebner passed away as uh we had just talked about Dave a week or two ago on the program, or one of the programs, because I didn't even know he was sick until somebody had written an email, said he'd been in ill health. And we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the twin referee angle with, the, you know, Hulk and Andre and DiBiase, et cetera. Um, but Dave, I was 73. Um, I early as two, they're twins. I'm going down the wrong road there. I was going to say Dave, I think, was older than Earl. That wouldn't make a lot of fucking sense, would it? This is probably a silly question, but you met them when you first went to Crockett? Um, well, Earl, Dave had already gone up Dave was north. already gone, okay. Yeah, uh, but they had started, because they're both from Richmond, and had started working in the wrestling business for Crockett with refereeing and rings and, and et cetera, and then Dave had already gone to to New York. But uh, we worked with Earl from the time we got there until that angle. I mentioned when we were talking about it, that's the first time that the boys working for Jim Crockett knew that Earl had, had jumped ship was when we saw him on the live national TV special. But uh, how are him and Earl similar or different? 
Well, I mentioned also when we were talking about that Dave Earl stayed fairly thin through most of his life, but Dave kind of got to be the tubby one. And that's the way you could tell them apart later on in, in life. They were pretty, they were close enough to identical for rock and roll on the uh, 1987 NBC main event angle. But over the years, Dave got a little heavier. So you could, you could tell them, especially when you were around him all the time, but but I, I mean, they were a lot alike, and they you could close your eyes and hear one guy talk, and they, because of also that Virginia inflection, accent, whatever you call it, that they had, um, you know, you could hear one and think of the other one. And honestly, I've got to know a little bit over the past few years, Brian Hebner, Earl's son, and he sounds just like him too. So it's it's something in the family, but. Uh, they were, and Dave had transitioned, as we mentioned, into more office work and and being a an agent and working in the box office with the personal appearances at the live events, the sponsors, making sure everybody was happy. You know, while somebody like Jack Lanza or you know George Steele or you know somebody else would handle the locker room itself, because that way they had somebody in the front and somebody in the back. And Dave did that for years and years uh while earl was still refereeing and i think i think dave was the uh wasn't he the the fucking driver when earl had his car waiting in montreal so, so yeah, yeah as soon as as soon as the three cab not the three cab but as soon as the bell rang and earl jumped out dave was the 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 wheel man back there revving the fucking car up and remember i told this story on dark side of the ring I didn't even realize who it was until afterwards, but as soon as I on the monitor, I saw the fucking, okay, here we go. They've done it. I'm getting out of here. I went in the parking garage was attached. You just in backstage in the arena there where the cars were parked was just in a big area in the back of the arena. So I just walked back through, got in my car and was starting to pull out. And I saw headlights come on and a motor start behind me. And I, that was them. I beat the Hebners out. But anyway, but yeah, so David, I hate that we just heard recently he was ill. I could think somebody said Parkinson's disease. Uh, but so we wanted to recognize that and our sympathy to Earl and Brian and everybody else in the family. And then what about bad week for referees? Uh, Tim White just passed away. So I, again, I hadn't seen him in a few years. A fan fest was the last time that I saw him. But uh, didn't know anything was wrong health-wise, and I guess I heard in the story of, you know, when he passed that he was scheduled to have some type of surgery upcoming. But otherwise, I, I don't really know what happened. But what a great guy he was, too. And he was all over the, I get well, it was the, they've done so many shows lately, but he was on the Andre documentary as well as some of the other programs that they've done over the last few years because a lot of people know he was not only a referee in the company but also was really good friends with Andre and was the guy that was put in charge of driving and traveling with Andre and is facilitator like because we've talked about how hard it was for Andre at his size to travel in the world and for years and years Tim was with him and made things easier and was somebody that he liked and trusted to travel with. And that was his job for quite a while. And also he, uh, 
He ran the friendly tap in, what was it, Cumberland, Rhode Island? But it, his own little corner neighborhood bar, and they would use that whenever they were up in the area for television, and Bradshaw and Ron Simmons would tear the place up, the APA, or they'd do some fight angle or whatever or something when they were doing stuff with Tim, they would do it at his bar, which was a shoot. And that's, I always loved the name because that was like Timmy, he's just a friendly guy. And you asked me before we went on the air, was there any, you know, particular Tim White stories? And I, you know, not, he, he didn't rib anybody, nor did anybody rib him right in a spectacular way. Everybody loved Timmy. He was the greatest guy. Uh, he never fucked up or messed up or, you know, uh, had a big dramatic issue with anybody. It was just I did the referee boxing with him on one of those pay-per-views. What was it? 98, I think, in Greensboro. And he was fucking hilarious. Um, but anyway, and, and I guess he ended up, uh, I think he quit refereeing. He got, did he have an injury? He got hurt. I'm not sure. An arm or a shoulder or something had to quit refereeing and tried to come back at one point and it just it wouldn't and they either heard it again or saw that it wasn't gonna work or whatever. But uh but he, you know, would do backstage stuff for the company up up until I guess several years ago. I don't know how long it's been. But I hated to hear that. And he was sixty-eight. So now that I've brought everybody down, Brian, it's your show. I have some breaking news. Oh, Jesus. Mike Kyoto is still alive. Oh, God damn it. Don't do that to me. He owes me money. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no that's, that's, a, that's a Bobby Heenan. Kyoto, if you're listening, that's a, that's a tribute to the brain. All right. Well, what won't be a tribute to the brain in any form or fashion will be this show here this week. Of you course, got any stories about your bears? No, no bear updates from me or how the is, How is it that you have a family of bears on your property, full-grown adult bears, and they're not doing as much damage as my one giant mutant raccoon that we talked about on the, the experience this past week? You, people don't know this, you were so bothered by the fact that I mildly scoffed at the story that you sent me several emails Yes. With high-definition photos of the goddamn <laughs> raccoon, its giant eyes, and just, it's, it's bizarre when you actually see the way the grass is ripped up. It's, yes. It's crazy. And, of course, chasing you, the deer. Because you scoffed at me, and when, when I told you that my, my neighbor, Stunning Steve Bradshaw, to the southeast quadrant back there, that he actually got a night vision camera because he was so gobsmacked. What was happening to this new sod? And what was tearing it up? What was going on that he's supposed to be watering? Steve, if you're listening, I guess I won't, I won't fucking charge you for this damage because you did prove that it wasn't you. But he got the night vision camera, took the pictures. I sent you the pictures. It's a giant mutant demonic raccoon with demon eyes. And there was even a picture of it scaring the full-grown adult deer off of the sod so it could have it all to itself. And I just don't ever scoff at me when I tell you any of these stories, Brian Last. I got proof. I just don't want this to be a competition where I have to start sending you photos of the bears and the coyotes and the frogs and everything. Well, only if they're doing some damage. All right. So far, they're not. 
Well, that's what's the point that I made. I got one raccoon that's fucking eating me out of house and home here with all this money I spent on this side, and you got a family of bears just wandering around doing nothing. I want I want some children to go missing up there, so I feel better. That's horrible. How could you say such a thing? Well, I don't want anything bad to happen to anybody's dog. So you feel better. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't know where we're going, Jim. It's your program. Well, do you have any more emails over there? Anything you wanted to talk about? Anything on your agenda? Well, thank you for that pitch, Brian. Last, actually, that's what I told you earlier that I had so that you would give me a segment because in actuality, I'm going to flip the script on you, Brian. Like wild card, bitches. I've got a segment that you have no forethought or foreknowledge about that I'm going to spring on you right now and let's see how good you are. What is the recurring segment that we do on this program that ever, everybody just loves and goes ape shit over? Oh, geez, there's so many. Well, there's so many, so many running through your mind. Guess the program. That's right. That is where you take a program out of your collection, tell me the lineup, and ask me to determine the location and the year that it happened. But never in the history of this program, Brian Last, have we flipped this on its ass and me asked you the questions. And right here in public, if you will, I am daring you, challenging you, double dog daring you, you don't have a hair on your balls if you do not accept this challenge. Yeah, I'll accept any challenge. I'm not worried about that. Whose programs are these from? They're my collection. They're from your collection, not some goofball sending in random things from home. No, no, I don't deal with goofballs over here. It's a a goofball-free organization over here. You would go and put your hands on your things and ruin your collection potentially just for me to embarrass you in this segment? I put my hands on my things on a regular basis because I do it carefully. I'll have you know. Never know when something could bend, break, or fall off. You're in in charge of your fingers. We've already established that. And I don't know how much embarrassing is going to be done around here. That's what we're going to, we're going to perpetrate and find out. For the record, for the record, I've had two coffees today, but they were late and I haven't had vitamin water yet. So, oh my God. So yes, what, what would the people say? What would the cult of Cornette out there? What would they say if on any one of these programs, if I was to say, well, when we play Guess the Program, I was to say, well, you know, I haven't had a Sprite Zero. If you hadn't, hadn't had my vitamins. If you hadn't had a Sprite Zero, we would have heard about it the entire show. We probably wouldn't be doing the program. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, Actually, yeah, that's right. But I wouldn't use it as an excuse to not know the date <laughs> of a the, wrestling card. You. That might be All the right. only thing you would use as an excuse now that I think about it. <laughs> Well, I, oh, maybe I picked a bad for instance, but nevertheless, so you haven't had your vitamins and you've only had two coffees and you're going to try as best you can laboring under those handicaps, right? Is this one program or a series? This of is a number of programs. Let's see how you do over the long haul. See, you start getting worried already, getting the limber tail over there. I remind you, you're the star of the show. I'm the host of the show. That's what listeners want. They don't want the focus to be on me. We're putting the focus on you. We're putting you on the spot. See how much you know there, pal. All right, let's do this. All right, let's start off with an easy one. 
I'll give you the card as you normally do for the opening match onto the main event. You tell me the year, or approximate year, and the approximate location. We'll start off with an easy one. Mike Romano versus Jerry Monahan. Next match, Jack McCarthy versus Sandor Zabo. Next match, Scotty McDougal, who is, of course, from Scotland, taking on Big Glenn Munn from Lincoln, Nebraska. Huh. And the main event, with a two-hour time limit, Texas Cowboy Jack Russell versus Germany's athletic idol Richard Schickat. Four matches, main event, Schickat, Russell, Sandor Zabo on the card, as well as Big Glenn Munn. Big Glenn Munn is the interesting one there. Tell the folks why. Well, the name... he's Wayne Munn's brother. That's right. Now tell the folks who Wayne Munn is. Well, he's, he's Big Wayne Munn. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. is It's sort of like we've got a Jim Belushi situation going on here. Care to take any uh, any passes at this one? So Dick Shikad and Sandar Zabo are on the same show. Sandar Zabo. And I'll, I'll give you another hint. The promoter was Abe Feinberg. Oh, I fucking know that name, too. All right. So this is the 40s. Dick, it wasn't a world title, you didn't say, for the main event. It was just two hours? It is, it is not. It's just a two-hour time limit match. With Germany's athletic idol, Richard Schickat. Hmm. Maybe it is the 30s. 1939. Am I right on the year? No, you are not. <laughs> All right, well, 1941. Minnesota. Yeah, I know it's not Minnesota. Where is it? February 7th, 1933. Wow, okay, I'm totally off. At the Armory in Louisville, Kentucky. Really? Who's the promoter? Abe Fine. Well, I don't know. It's His name is most often spelled F-I-N-B-E-R-G. So it could possibly have been Finberg, but I would say Feinberg. And that's an alternate spelling sometimes I've seen. Right, another spelling would be F-E-I-N. Birth. Yes, that's yeah. uh, F. Yes, that's there. You have it. All righty. Well, what else I'm do you know so about what, what else do you know about that card? I mean, do you know anything about what kind of crowd it drew? Absolutely, fuck it. No, <laughs> actually, um, this particular card. The only reason that I was able to get this is because Cosper did a lot of this research and everything. But this is a. Hold on, I'm going to count. It's a weird. It's not a fold over like four page. It's a fold over six page and it folds twice. And it's advertising a variety of events uh, like Earl Carroll Vanities at the Memorial Auditorium in Louisville, February 3rd. The Kentucky Hotel danced to the tuneful melodies of Milburn Stone and his orchestra. I don't know if it's the same guy that played Doc on, on Gunsmoke. Uh, there's a couple of other ads for hotels and shit. Then the wrestling lineup, 
And then it's an actual, uh, there's also the program for, hold on, I'm trying to turn this carefully, program for the vanities with who plays all of the, the Earl Carroll vanities with who plays all the parts and the various acts and scenes involved. So it's, it's interesting. But um, Is that the oldest program from Louisville you have? Yes. It's the oldest one I've ever seen. Yeah, I've never seen one from the 30s, no. But this was probably, I think, what was it, two years before uh, Haywood Allen, who was an assistant to Feinberg, uh, began the Allen Athletic Club, and it ran for a little over 20 years. I got another one. What started oh, messing yeah. with me was the whole young German idol thing. <laughs> um, just because of, you know, thinking about the timing of World War II and then trying to think of Zabo, and I, yeah, that's what threw me off on the year completely. But. He's listed here as a 205-pound Hungarian champion, so he wasn't very old. No. And tickets, by the way, a dollar ringside, 75 cents main floor, entire balcony, 50 cents, ladies, 25 cents. All seats plus 10% United States tax. And tickets were on sale at Goodman's Newsstand. In those days, for something like that, they the armory, uh, the later to become the Louisville Gardens, actually seated more people then in those days before it was renovated into a modern arena than it does now or did in its day. But uh, for something like that, the research that uh, Cosper has done, there would still be anywhere of two to 3,000 people to 5,000 people in on a big show in Louisville even back in those days. and. The heyday, the biggest crowds we've come to find out were not even the biggest crowds consistently for the longest period of time were the Jarrett days. But there was a period between 1950 and 1955 when their big shows uh, for the Allen Athletic Club under Francis McDonough, who took it over, were eight and nine thousand people, which was way more now than the revamped gardens could ever seat after the early 60s. So it was a but that was with the national TV, and they'd bring in Thez versus Baron Leone, a rematch of the Los Angeles match, was one of the Derby Eve spectacular matches that drew like 9,000 people. You know, we've seen shows where, you know, discounted tickets for children, if you're with an adult or something. What do you think about the idea of such a discount for women to get them into the show? Well, that was common in the 30s, because not only did women mostly not go to boxing and wrestling, but also they definitely weren't going to go unescorted. So the idea was, hey, you can bring your wife for a quarter if you come. And that, you know, they would get a few more people in that way. But that was, it wasn't just wrestling back then. And this was in the Depression. So. Yeah, and TV would have changed that because once women started watching these wrestlers on TV, all of a sudden you had a whole new audience. Right. And it, I mean, I don't have it in front of me to prove it, but I think there was ladies, special ladies admission prices to different variety of sports back then or different varieties of functions. Anyway, I got another one for you. This, this will be a little easier. I was jacking with you on the first one. I think you'll nail this one right away. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. The opening match. Rowdy Red Roberts versus Red McIntyre. The second match, Jim Caulfield versus Buddy Knox. 
the third match, Bibber McCoy versus, listen to this name, Angelo Sistoldi from Boston, Massachusetts. I believe this is a wrestling promoter's attempt at, at spelling Savoldi, but it was Sistoldi. The first main event, Helen Hild versus Teresa Tice. And the second main event, to a finish, Tarzan White versus Babe Zaharias. Hmm. I'm guessing it's early 50s. Red Roberts. Opening match. Is it Georgia? You are correct. Uh, now I gotta guess the year. That that's where I'm not gonna get it. And what and what led me there, what's led me to kind of the time period is just knowing it's actually Helen Hall being on the show and kind of knowing her history a little bit. 1951, maybe? Oh 50, 50? June 23rd, 1950. Oh, Paul Jones Sports Attractions, yeah, there you go. Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, okay. I didn't even know it was Atlanta, okay. Atlanta, Georgia, and obviously at the City Auditorium back then. And Helen Hild, obviously, for the folks who don't know, was Ted DiBiase's mother. That's right. And Teresa Tice was an established lady wrestler at the time who in a couple of years from this would meet and marry Ray Stevens and help in his early training. Babe Zaharias, who wrestled Tarzan White in the final main event, was actually George Zaharias, who was married to Babe Diedrichson Zaharias, who was the most famous female athlete in United States history. But as a wrestler, he sometimes used Babe Zaharias because it, I guess it was more name recognition, right? Um, and a couple of items um, in the cavalcade of new stars signed to appear here, young 218-pound Chattanooga dropkick artist Eddie Gossett wow. will make his first... <laughs> wow. Make his first Atlanta appearance on Friday, July 7th. Young and Chattanooga Eddie, dropkick artist. Wow. Yes, 218 pounds. Uh, Eddie Gossett, of course, would later become Eddie Graham. Also, uh, in the Paul Jones's Cauliflower Gossip column, uh, Gorgeous George, the Marcel tough man from the West Coast, defeated Don Eagle, the Mohawk Indian, for the Eastern and wow. European heavyweight title. If you had told me that, I would have immediately known 1950. That would have been uh, a because that was the double cross in Chicago. That's right. Buddy Rogers will meet champion Luthez at Wrigley Field, Chicago, June 21st. Luthez will appear here July 7th. Um, Babe Zaharias and brother Chris have received several good offers to defend their tag team championship around Chicago. George Temple is wrestling <laughs> on the West Coast. That's Shirley Temple's yeah. brother, was a wrestler, George. Anyway, so that you got that one pretty daggum close there, pal. I could have done better. Well, let's see. Maybe you'll do better with the, the next one. The program clues. Would it, what, what did you say the date was of the Georgia one? The date was of the, the of Atlanta the actual pro 
program of Friday, June 23rd, 1950. Yeah, I would have gotten the summer of 1950 if you had told me Don Eagle and Gorgeous George. Well, of course you would. But that would that was extraneous information, not part of the rules of our game here. You wouldn't be trying to make me cheat, would you? Hey, I invented this game. Well, in that case, then I'm allowed to change the rules. All right. <laughs> the next card. Frank Townsend versus Bob Corby. Second match, Eugenio Marin versus Ombre Montana. Third match, Fritz Wallach versus Arnold Skolan. Next match, Miguel Torres versus Ted Lewin. And the main event, two out of three falls, Johnny Barrand and Don Lewin versus Dr. Jerry Graham and his brother, Eddie Graham. Fascinating. Okay. So Arnold Skolan being on the show... And the Graham brother. Can you give me the card one more time? Because there was something that made me think one thing, and then by the end of it, I thought something else. Can you give me the card okay. one more time? Frank Townsend and Bob Corby. Yeah. Ombre Montana, Eugenio Marin, Arnold Skoland, Fritz Wallach, Ted Lewin, Miguel Torres, and then the Graham brothers against Johnny Barron and Don Lewin. I was going to say the Texas Territory, but this is the New York Territory, I believe. I will, I will get you are correct. And I'm saying that because of the Graham brothers, because of Arnold Skoland, obviously. So this is New York. The Graham brothers are teamed up. Dr. Jerry and his brother, Eddie. It's not, I don't think it's 57. It could be 58 or 59. I'd, I need a final answer yeah, no, no, or, and, and or, or even a question. I'm actually, trying to to, I'm actually in my head. Yeah. I'm trying to think if it's a spot show or if it's the garden. I can't imagine that would be the, a garden card. So I'm going to guess it's a show in New Jersey somewhere. And I'm going <laughs> to go with it's, uh, 58. Arg! Temple Hall, Highland Park, New Jersey, April 10th, 1959. Fuck! Oh, come on! I was so close. And next Friday night at Temple Hall, Highland Park, Fuck. New Jersey, was a Friday night town. Apparently, because next Friday night, you'll see Haystacks Calhoun and Red Bastine against Carl Von Hess and Judo Jack Terry in a tag natch. <laughs> a tag natch. And other TV stars. Plus, the next night, a super-duper wrestling show at the Patterson Armory in Patterson, New Jersey on April the 18th. Order your tickets now. So you got the state, you got the fact that it was a spot show, and you were only a year off. So that ain't bad. The Graham brothers teaming up in the Northeast is what helped me narrow it down because there's a yeah. period where it's over and Eddie goes to Florida, even though Vince could still get him to come back if he wanted him. And there's kind of a main period where it's Dr. Jerry and his brother, because Jerry was the bigger star. Well, let's go to another one and see how you fare. You're, right. doing, you're doing pretty good since that swerve I threw in on you at first. Here is the card. The first match. Lee Garcia versus Ken Cooper. Second match. Prince Omar versus Tito Carrion. 
The next match, tag team action, the Masked Medics, number one and two, versus Pedro Godoy and Pat O'Brien. And the main event, a handicap match, Chief Big Heart versus Swede Hansen and P.Y. Chung. This is Jim Crockett Sr., I think. And I think that because of P.Y. Chung, actually, specifically. That's Tojo Yamamoto before he was Tojo Yamamoto. And I believe that was what he used for well, his run in the Carolinas. Correct. Now, at that time, I'm trying to remember if Jim Crockett's still at Johnson City. I'm just in my head, I'm trying to figure out where his territory boundaries were for the general period of time I'm thinking. I know where they would go north and uh, east. But it's definitely a Crockett show. Give me a couple of the matches again. Uh, well, the main events, Chief Big Heart versus P.Y. Chung and Swede Hansen and the Masked Medics versus Pedro Godoy and Pat O'Brien. And Pat O'Brien is not Pat Malone, who we have learned used that name in the 40s and 50s. Uh, but it is a, there's a picture of him here, and I don't recognize the guy, but it ain't him. And it doesn't list any manager for the medics. It does not list any manager for the medics, nor are they in the, is a manager in the picture of the medics that is in this program. Hmm. Can you tell me if it's <laughs> North Carolina or Tennessee? North Carolina. See, when, you, when people second guess themselves sometimes, sometimes they ought to just no, go with their first. I was, Johnson City was in my head for some reason. I guess because Tojo and Tennessee, it just it fucks with your head sometimes the way things come together. But P.Y. Chung. P.Y. Chung. I'm going to go, uh, fuck, I'm going to get the year wrong. I'm going to go with 62, if not Greensboro, Charlotte. Boom! Jim Crockett Promotions, the Park Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, August 14th, 1961. Oh, man. Again, you're, you're right there. You're, you're getting the territories. You're right there with the, with the years, but not quite. But some of the ads, Crockett always had great ads. Because Remember the story was Jim Crockett Sr. There was a bar and grill that he his office for ages was a special table in that business and he would conduct all of the promotion business from there where he's got a bunch of advertisements for restaurants including the south 21 curb service restaurant and the auto burger one mile east of the coliseum 15 cent hamburger 20 cent cheeseburger 15 cent french fries and milkshake and uh, all the drinks are either 10 or 15 cents. You can get lemonade, grape, soft drinks, hot chocolate. You watch. You know what the guy who owned that place said when he went home? What'd he say? It's like a license to print money. <laughs> <laughs> Championship wrestling was seen on WBTV Channel 3, Saturdays, 5.30 to 6.30. That was the strongest television station in North Carolina at the time. And also there was the Hickory House Restaurant with their special barbecue and curb service. Anyway, and, and Red Top Cab. Any picture Stanies of Bill Ward? Drive, a picture of Bill Ward, a picture <laughs> of, of Jim Crockett. <laughs> Stamey's Drive-In Restaurant has seafood and steak. All righty, let's go to another one. You're, you're not doing too bad so far. Let's see if we can 
get you anything here. Ah, here we go. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yeah. The opening match, Rocky Montero versus Jack Armstrong. The second match, a get-even bout. Les Roberts from Australia versus Rocky Johnson from Nova Scotia is listed that way. A special attraction match for the first time ever in the United States, the All-Asian Championship, Carl Heisinger, who is a bleached blonde German fellow with a beard, but he's billed as from Chicago, against a gentleman named Il Kim Kintaro Oki. This is the Olympic Auditorium. Hold on. Fucking feeling froggy, aren't you? John Tolos and the great Kojika. Yeah, this is the Olympic Auditorium. Versus La Pantera Negra and Tony <laughs> Rocco. <laughs> the main event, Fred Blassie versus The Sheik. I'm going with... Ah, uh, the year is going to throw me off because it could be any... Uh, uh, Rocky Johnson. The Sheik is in there. Freddie Blassie. Anyone... Since I got the, since I know exactly where it is, can you tell me who's a champion? Is Blassie the America's champion? There is. It's not a title match. It's a grudge match. Grudge match. It is not for the title. <sighs> who's Rocky Johnson's opponent? Les Roberts, who he remember he worked as Dingo the Sundowner. He's an Australian fellow. And what was the tag team match? Tag team match was, it's for us since you've already got the Olympic Auditorium, for the America's tag team title, La Pantera Negra and Tony Rocco versus John Tolos and the great Kojika. Bob Barnett hated Tony Rocco. His <laughs> least favorite wrestler ever. Um, I'm going to get the year wrong. I'm going to go with 70, it's either 70. I was going to say it was either 71 or 72, but it could be earlier, especially with Rocky Johnson being there. I'm going to go with 69. Just throw a number out there. Oh, my God. You said 71, 72, 69, June 26, 1970. Fuck. God damn it. <laughs> I apologize to the Los Angeles historians out there. And if you join the Olympic Discount Club for $2... You get a discount on all the Wednesday night wrestling events. By, you get one ticket with each one purchased. And if you buy one and receive the one next to it, or you can buy one and receive the one next to it for only a dollar on Big Friday mat cards. You get the wrestling news delivered free to your house. Hey, all right. And uh, yeah, for $2. But they have, a, they have one of the cards as a to show you what you get when you get the membership and it's written in handwriting sample only, like people were trying to clip it out of the program and turn it in. And here's one I know you're going to get. Here's one. I think you'll really like this card. <clears throat> oh, that trick never works. Yeah. Well, it's, it's this one will there fella, the opening match, Bill white and Ed Wiskoski. Versus Roy Lee Welch and Bob Orton Jr. You might want to take some notes on this one. Florida. Keep I'm going. I'm not done Keep going. Yet. Keep going. 
The Infernos, managed by J.C. Dykes versus Big Bill Dromo and Jerry Oates. Georgia. Rocket Monroe versus Bearcat Brown. Yeah, I'm going to stay in Georgia right now. Sputnik Monroe versus Tiger Conway Jr. See, once again, that could be Florida. What's next? The Medics. These probably guys are not <laughs> probably not the same ones as earlier in in the program versus Eddie and Mike Graham. That would make you think ding 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 it's Florida. However, based on the time period, it could be when they were going up to Georgia to help out. But keep going. Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Billy Spears. And it is Atlanta, Georgia, maybe the Omni. What's the next match? For the United States Championship, the Sheik, managed by the Grand Wizard (laughs) versus Bobo Brazil. Okay. And by the way, that is interesting because have you ever seen the Sheik build as being managed by the, even though Abdullah Farouk was the Grand Wizard, it was a dual personality. Yeah. But the Grand Wizard at this point in this place, had more magazine publicity than did Abdullah Farouk. This is a mask-at-stake match for a title with no time limit and no disqualification. Cowboy Bill Watts, the champion, versus Mr. Wrestling Tim Woods. Bill Watts, the champion, Georgia. It's either the North American Championship there. Well, that was in Florida or the... Okay, keep going. Next match, the finals of a Cadillac tournament. There is no time limit. This is a round-robin three-man tournament. The winner will drive away in a 1973 Cadillac. And the way this match works is... The three guys. I was going to say 73 for the record. Hold on. Oh, I just shit. I just gave the goddamn year away, didn't I? Yep. Well, nevertheless. But let me stop and explain how I would have said 73. It's obvious to me that it's a Georgia show. It's obvious that it's during the war. And it's obvious that it's before Jerry Jarrett was booking. So that puts it in 73. Yeah, and also, I knew you were going to know this, but I wanted to get to, but I gave the goddamn Cadillac thing away. But anyway, the way they determine this is they flip coins, and the odd man sits out. The two guys with a match the coin flip wrestle a match, and whoever wins that wrestles the odd guy. And one man has to win two falls. So if the odd guy then beats the guy that just won, then the first guy gets back in and they go till somebody wins two falls, which nobody does anymore. And it'd be a lot easier to understand than this goddamn 18-man clusterfuck. But anyway, Bobby Duncan versus Bob Armstrong versus Bobby Shane. And the main event, extra added match, NWA-ordered lumberjack match, Norvell Austin versus Dandy Jack. Not Dandy Jack Donovan, but the manager Dandy Jack. Crawford? Uh, I believe that was his last name, I think. But uh, you've already said it. The Atlanta Omni and the date, Friday, May 18th, 1973. But do you know what's special about that particular event? 
May 1873. It's the first Omni show. That is the first Omni show. And this program that I hold in my hands that you can hear is from Gordon Soley's personal collection. Wow. I got it at one of the fan fests from his uh, daughter and son-in-law that were there with that had written the book and et cetera. And I got a couple, I got the first and second Omni events uh, from his personal collection. And this, this was a big deal because at that time, that was the biggest indoor arena that had ever run for wrestling in the South, right? 1973. And it was, uh, the Omni was pretty brand new at that point. The Omni ended up being a game changer, but also being something that in the long run hurt the company. Cause when you didn't have the city auditorium and you had to run the Omni, it cost a lot more money. Yeah, but they what they started doing was running the city auditorium every Friday night for three weeks, and then the Omni, the big spectacular with outside talent, would be once a month. And the auditorium seated, what, 6,000 people, so it was more affordable and it was easier, and then you went to and, and did more than 6,000 people for the big show, but when they closed the city auditorium, that's when things went to hell because now... They couldn't, they, they did a few times try to run the Omni every week, uh, not for long, but they couldn't run a building of that size weekly and sustain, you know, it was unsustainable as far as the rent and you couldn't do, even when their business was hot, 15,000 people every fucking week. So they had to back up to every two weeks or every three weeks and they lost the momentum of the regular fans ticket money and that combined with the extra rent that's why they ended up going to intermittent spectaculars but it wasn't well not intermittent they were still there at least once a month but it wasn't the schedule it used to be considering what nick goulas ended up doing building his office again with cash how come more wrestlers considering the political relationships they had when they were promoters in a local town why didn't they just build their own buildings? When a city auditorium went down, why didn't they spend a few bucks, find a politician to work with, and build a 5,000-seat building somewhere? I know it sounds crazy to think of it that way, but if your business depends on that, I don't well, know. Well, but it, oh, here's the, that, there's a wide gap between I'm going to build this nice little office for myself over here for 150 grand 40 years ago or whatever it was, and I'm going to build a five or 6,000 seat arena that then I not only have to build it, but I have to do the upkeep and the maintenance. And then am I going to rent it out for other events or am I just going to use it once a week or once every two weeks? And other times it sits, it, it, you know, they did, they got away with it in Mexico because of the, I'm sure inexpensive production or production construction costs, as well as the multitude of shows they ran and the business was set up differently down there but i mean you know we did it with ovw because and it was the idea to do with ring of honor under sinclair because now we're talking about an existing building that you can customize to seat a thousand people but in those days the uh, a building that seated a thousand or two thousand people in one of the promotions main towns wasn't going to do anybody any good so there it's a Lot, and then plus you still have to go through building permits. And even for for what we did in OVW, which was kind of like a glorified, you know, television studio soundstage type of thing rather than an actual sports arena, 
there was the number of bathroom stalls and you have to have and how far the the urinal on the wall needs to be from this thing and the code and fire violations and staffing and no in this country in the days of the territories for the crowds that most of the promotions were drawing that would have been a ridiculous expense it would have been like building a new mid-sized sports arenas in these towns I wonder how many wrestling promoters tried to use their influence on local politicians to say, hey, you're tearing down this building, replace it with something new or whatever. Sell it to us. I don't know that that ever came into their mind, to be honest. But, you know, again, if the city owned something and was selling it, there was probably a reason why. Such as you need to practically redo this place from the start. But that was the, I mean, it, it even used to be in like, I've seen spot show contracts that, Crockett, and certainly we worked off a lot of Crockett's paperwork because Sandy Scott had it to do Smoky Mountain wrestling paperwork. And some of the other territories that I've worked at, their letter going out to potential sponsoring groups like football teams and high schools, athletic boosters, whatever, to bring spot shows to town, was, the main thing was you have to be able to provide a building that seats at least 1,500 people, I think, was the cutoff. They didn't want to, in those days, except if it was, you know, Tupelo on a Friday night because everybody's got to be in town for Memphis TV eight hours later, they didn't want to fuck with a building or running a show that couldn't draw 1,000 or 1,500 people in a small town. All right, and that was guess anyway, the program. Well, hold on. Hold on there, cowboy. I think we got another one. I think we missed one. Oh. Hold on. I'm trying to find. Ah, wait a minute. Here it is. One more. One more. I haven't heard Pedro Godoy's name enough today. Well, you won't hear it here, but you will hear another couple of interesting names. The first match, Tojo Yamamoto versus Billy Wicks. Huh. The second match, Tretch Phillips and Corsica Joe versus Lynn Rossi and Tony Belergian. The third match for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship, Wilbur Snyder defends against a fellow named Kanji Inoki, who, as you well know, is Antonio Inoki. And the main event return 10-round boxing match, special referee Archie Moore. Alex Perez versus Prince Pullins. All right. Well, it's definitely the Tennessee Territory, I believe. A couple of interesting things make me think it could be a different town. I don't think it's Memphis because of Len Rossi being on the show. I know it's a weird thing, and not that he didn't wrestle in Memphis, but I, I'm thinking Nashville, not Memphis. 65. Nashville. Because Inoki. Hold up, boom on the year, but not boom on the town. You Fuck. fucking kayfabed yourself. Memphis. November 29, 1965 in Memphis. And part of the reason why Lynn Rossi may have been there is because Jerry Jarrett wasn't a thing yet. And we don't know for sure that Birmingham was running that night. That may have been... See, it wasn't a big thing for Lynn Rossi to be in... Uh, as a matter of fact, he'd been working 
a program the previous weeks with the mysterious medics who apparently were everywhere. And as a matter of fact, the following week, Inoki would team up with Hiro Matsuda against Lynn Rossi and Tony Belarusian. You know but what? You know what? We just got an email uh, that was sent in asking about that letter you read on the show. That was Lance Russell's letter where he talked about his favorite match ever was a tag match with Matsuda and Inoki. Yeah. And the listener wanted to know where could that have possibly been from? That doesn't sound like a Memphis match. And here we are talking 1965. Both guys are there. Well, and it was in Memphis because Inoki was sent by the Japanese promotion, what was the, the JWA, right, the original, to America in 1965, just like they would send all the other young guys. Baba went in, what, 62? He was all over the country, the giant Baba from Japan. As a main eventer. Yeah. As a main eventer, wrestling for multiple world titles, NWA and others, because of his size, and that was completely unusual, and it was 15 years after the war. Well... Enoki didn't get that kind of treatment because he wasn't a giant and he was sent to Memphis and he, he worked the Tri-Cities territory in East Tennessee. He was in Johnson City in Kingsport. That's why 1965, I said, that's a great answer to a trivia question. The people got to see Ron Wright, Whitey Caldwell, and Antonio Enoki. Um, Billy Wicks threw think, me off. Billy Wicks being there in 65 that late because I kind of feel like in my head, I almost feel like he went away after like 61, <laughs> but I know well, he still worked a lot of shows. Well, not a lot of shows. Here's the thing. Billy Wicks was in the, just in this period of time that I'm looking at September 27, October 4, October 11, October 18th. He's the opening match every week. He was working at the sheriff's department in Memphis, and he still wrestled locally. And, but at the same time, they, he wasn't, they weren't really doing anything with him, but he just, you know, to keep... Keep his hand in and see the boys. Uh, but the Eddie Graham, uh, the, the tag team change, for example, Eddie Graham and Sam Steamboat were the recognized world tag team champions in Memphis in 1965. Here they wrestle uh, Alex Perez and Tojo Yamamoto in uh, three or four weeks in a row uh, in a program. Uh, Buddy Fuller and Lester Welch were uh, a top tag team at that point. And Lester Welch either later on or then did own part of Florida. The point is there was a talent exchange and that's where Jerry Jarrett would have got first gotten to know Eddie Graham is when he was coming to Memphis in the mid sixties while he was establishing Florida, he was working with Nick and Roy and some of the other promoters you know, to probably to make extra money to establish Florida and make contacts. So that tag team title match you're talking about that Lance mentioned in his letter did happen in Memphis, and he was there at the Coliseum to, to call it. But anyway, but yes, point is November 29, 1965, and it was Memphis, and this was about two years before Jerry Jarrett started booking and became an influence. And that card... um the newspaper reported it drew about 5,500 people, which was at the Ellis Auditorium, this before the Mid-South Coliseum, probably 2,500 short of a, of a sellout. But in Memphis, from what we can gather from the, you know, they didn't list the attendance a lot in those days in the newspaper, but every so often you'd see 
3,800, 4,000, 5,000. So that was about what Memphis was weekly through the 60s until Jarrett took over and then they moved to the Coliseum in 72. And that expanded their capacity from around 7,500 or 8,000 up to 11,000 something. And here on February 15, 1965, and I'll give you back your fucking program, your show, Dick the Bruiser got arrested <laughs> on, uh, on uh, February 15, 1965 by Memphis police. Would you like to hear about it? Yeah. When officers J.D. Williams and E.O. Petrie went to the auditorium to police a wrestling match, they probably didn't anticipate they would pick up a few bruises of their own at the hands of Dick the Bruiser. The Bruiser, whose real name is Richard Alice, 30, of Indianapolis, was in Memphis last night to wrestle Pat O'Connor. And that's not his real name. No, it's Aflis. But they well, it's William. It's not even Richard. Well, there you go. So... Um, during the match, O'Connor got thrown out of the ring. I turned my back on the ring to keep the crowd off O'Connor when I was struck from behind by Dick the Bruiser, said Officer Williams in his report today. <laughs> Officer Pitree, joining in the fray, got kicked by the Bruiser. The officers called for help and arrested a Alice, escorted him first to his dressing room to change clothes and then to jail. Alice put up $26 forfeits each on charges of disor disorderly conduct and assault and battery, got out of jail, and then apologized to the officers. And what a card that was. Wilbur Snyder versus Ronnie Etchison, Dick the Bruiser versus Pat O'Connor, Alex Perez versus Rocky Smith, and for the World Tag Team title, Kurt and Carl Von Brauner with Saul Weingroff against Bobby and Lee Fields, the Fields brothers. Hey, in terms of what we were talking about before with Atlanta, so obviously the Mid-South Coliseum opens. When did the Ellis Auditorium actually close? Um, well, it, about the same time as uh, the Mid-South Coliseum had been there. Uh, I'm not sure what year it opened. It was there for the Beatles, so that was 65? Uh, around about 65, six, well, 64, the first American tour, 66, the big one, but... Wrestling had always been at Ellis Auditorium because that's where it had been since fucking 30s or 40s. And at that time, the audience, the, the promoters felt they wouldn't go to the Coliseum because downtown in those days, everybody walked. You didn't need public transportation. You didn't need a car. And especially the audience... After the late 50s and Sputnik, the audience was heavily African-American. They all lived in the downtown area. The regular fans that had been accustomed to going to the Ellis for years and years would go there. The, the promoters didn't think that people would drive out to what was especially then the suburbs. It's Now Memphis is just huge, but the suburbs pay for parking potentially, go to a different building. As Teeny used to say, the wrestling fan is a creature of habit. And changing buildings in a town almost never happened once one was established unless you had a really big show that had to go somewhere or you lost your other building like they did in Atlanta with City Auditorium. They did the same thing in Memphis with the Ellis Auditorium. That was torn down to make now what stands there or what did stand there, I mean, lately, was the Cook Convention Center which Jared would run 
when the Coliseum wasn't available, like for the Mid-South Fair or certain things. What about in 77? Yeah, well, in 77, Nick Nick's office still had the Mid-South Coliseum contract in his name. So when Jarrett split off, he knew he not only had to go to a new TV station, he had to go to a new building. And the only other building in town was the Cook Convention Center. And that period of time from April of 77 for about, what was it, eight, ten weeks until Nick gave up, those are the only wrestling events that have ever drawn at the Cook Convention Center. He, Jared was doing, according to the newspapers, who know, Mr. Coffee was the manager. He may have sweetened it a little bit, but yeah, we've seen pictures and video. They were doing five, six, seven thousand people in the Cook Convention Center because that was the only place to go see Lawler and the stars of Jarrett's program. Nick stayed at the Mid-South Coliseum and ran like six or seven shows, and I think the last one got down to under 500 people in an 11,000-seat building. So he pulled out, and as soon as he pulled out, the Coliseum, who had wanted to do business with Jarrett anyway, immediately gave Jarrett the first date as soon as they heard Nick was pulling out. And that first date was April. Well, he was so six weeks. He split off the first part of March and the first show that Jarrett ran in the Coliseum was April 24th. And that was with Rocky Johnson and Harley Race, Lawler and Jack Briscoe. Eddie Graham was a guest backstage. Dusty was on the show. He brought in everybody from the NWA, but Ron Fuller sent people from Knoxville. It was a big event, jacked up ticket prices to show that he was making a statement that he was the wrestling promotion in Memphis. So, and But then after that, the only time, again, every time that he went to the Cook Convention Center, I was there on one show in 1982. The house was $14,000. That was maybe... 2,500 to three, not even 3,000 people. And it just, it was the fill-in place that, so the reverse became true. Once the people got used to going to the Mid-South Coliseum, they wouldn't go back downtown. And 10 years later, downtown had changed and was not the place in Memphis that you necessarily wanted to be late at night. So it kind of, what goes around comes around. But that's, the situation is, is they were afraid to move, but once that they did, um, it didn't even take a year, and and they had a sellout with Jackie Fargo and Al Green in the hair match. That was Jarrett's first big push to sell out the Mid-South Coliseum in 1972. Well, there it is. Guess the program. I think I did all right. You did pretty good. You did better than I thought you were going to. I don't know what that says, but, you know, after something like this, I'm not going to lie. I'm very much considering just going to sleep. Well, you know, you, you, you're going to have to find something to keep you awake because we already know what can put you to sleep. Besides the sound of my voice, that's our friends at Beam and the delicious product that they have manufactured to make all of us have a restful night's sleep. If, you, if you're not sleeping good, Brian, it can cause weight gain mood issues, poor mental health, lower productivity, felony charges. All of those things can come from not getting enough sleep. If you sleep less than six to seven hours a night, it's linked to a reduced white blood cell count. I don't know what that has to do with anything, 
But if you don't sleep enough, you don't have enough white blood cells, and then you can't fight off the illness and diseases and viruses and bacteria and famines and plagues that are all around the monkeypox. So you got to get a good night's sleep. And with Beam, you don't even have to do it naturally. You can let them do it for you. The good old-fashioned way. With drugs. No, folks, there's no drugs involved in this. No, there's no drugs involved in this. And that's See, not the good old-fashioned way. What's wrong with I you? I beat you. I beat you with that. There's no drugs involved in this. What this is, is natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. They've been triple lab tested. There's no THC, but don't let that stop you, folks. You wake up refreshed. As a matter of 98% of people surveyed, Fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. It's just that nagging 1% that wake up in Turkish prisons six months later with a long beard. <laughs> no, that's just All not- you got to do, it's, it's delicious, <laughs> delicious hot cocoa. All you got to do is mix the Beam Dream powder into hot water or milk. Milk gives a little more body. You just stir it up and you enjoy it right before bedtime. Right before bedtime, right before a major surgery, if you're going to have your lungs taken out, take a sip of this Beam Dream. They won't even have to give you the anesthetic, folks. Propofol ain't got nothing on this shit. If Michael Jackson had known about Beam, we'd still be not stopping till we got enough to this very day. Yes, we would. He was a pedophile. I forgot about that part. <laughs> well, you can find out, folks, why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking <laughs> About Beam, not Michael Jackson or any allegations, but they're talking about Beam. And if you don't love it, you can get your money back guaranteed. If you can find these people, it's a lot easier to order something off the website and send them money. But nevertheless, they'll give you your money back guaranteed if you don't love it. And right, and we use it here at the house. I sleep like a baby. Wake up once an hour crying and pissing the bed. But Stacy loves it. She swears by it. I see... I see her cup of beam constantly sitting there waiting for whenever she's tired of listening to me. She just takes a sip of that, falls over face first in the TV room, and I just I just kind of throw a blanket over and leave her laying there until she gets up and wanders off. But if you can't fall asleep or wake up during the night or don't wake up refreshed or have side effects of no sleep or if you're addicted to chemical sleep aids or noisy neighbors that wake you up with their wild perverted sex parties, Please send your address and phone number to me. Or if you think sleep aids make you groggy or you can't sleep when you travel, all these things can be helped, assisted even by the beneficial compounds naturally found in CBD, which is involved in the Beam premium product. It's a functional wellness brand, Beam is, that makes products for sleep, calm, focus, energy, hydration, and recovery. So there's all kinds of products that you can benefit from in addition to the Dream Powder. You got to go to see all of these things at ShopBeam, ShopBeam.com. That's B-E-A-M, ShopBeam.com slash J-C-E. Use the code J-C-E at checkout and get $20 off. ShopBeam.com slash J-C-E. Use the code J-C-E for $20 off of the Beam Dream Powder, and then let us know if you remember how you do and how you like it.
shopbeam.com slash after you slash jce get out of the car cut off your slawson use the code jce get twenty dollars off i'm telling you you won't know what hits you folks when you get good sleep at night nothing will hit you you'll know what it is it's beam and it's wonderful that's what i said you won't know what hits you nothing will hit you that's why you won't know beam well, Beam will certainly put you down, but let's get everyone back up here. We have questions, we have topics, we have songs. We must have multiple things. We already played a game. We can't do more games, I don't think. Are you ready for topics and questions and fun? Sure. It's your show. Jim, I'm not sure how much of this you would have seen, but apparently Ronda Rousey and Natty Neidhart went back and forth a little bit on Twitter. Some people were questioning what's a work and what's a shoot. Obviously, they've been working together. We just had a review of a match they had in, I think, New Mexico. Have you seen any of this? I, I've just heard just brief things, just a, a smidgen, a whisper that they sniped at each other on the Twitter machine. That they did. And I'm going to right now click on the original link here because I'm not sure what set it off. It appears Ronda Rousey just tweeted out one of the YouTube links for the Neidharts, Natty Neidhart and her sister, their YouTube channel, and she said, Some needs to tell you your discount-only fan sister fetish YouTube channel is weird and embarrassing. <laughs> Obviously, a couple of words not, may have been left out Not there. to mention her grammar is weird and embarrassing, but... So now, as, as background, Natty and her sister have an OnlyFans channel where they do their content or whatever in pictures, but we have no, well, no reason to believe there's any pornography going on here, do we? I think it's just a YouTube channel, and she was saying a it's YouTube a channel. bootleg. Uh, I'm looking at the videos here. Obviously, there's nothing pornographic. There are, you know, some mildly suggestive images, like Natty and her sister in bikini tops, but nothing too, nothing risque at all, really. I can't So it's not an OnlyFans. Rhonda was just knocking it as an OnlyFans ripoff type of thing. No, look, I'm sure the fact that Natty and her sister are both women and wrestling fans are weird, creepy people that they probably have wrestling fans who treat this like an OnlyFans. But from what I'm seeing here, it appears to be YouTube. Well, so, but Rhonda's against it. Rhonda's against it. So Natty saw that tweet, retweeted it with this. It was either do a channel with my hot sister or bring people to a rock at the back of my farm to cry and talk about conspiracy theories. <laughs> I chose the sexy sister thing. Because we might be weird, but we're not as weird as your hot takes on life. Wow. And then she plugged in OnlyFans, so there is an OnlyFans for the sister. Jenny Neidhart. Oh, well, there you go. So, but the point is, Rhonda apparently, we, we've heard that Rhonda has some different beliefs on the various things that go on, right? Is she one of the space alien people, or is she the QAnon, or is she what? What variety or genre of crackpotness does Rhonda subscribe to? Because did she do something where she actually brought people to a rock in her back? I'm sure the listeners are going to fill us in on a bunch of details that we can update in the next week or two. But is Rhonda Rousey taking people on tours of rocks in the backyard of her farm, Browsey Acres? I don't That's know. I mean, the fact that you know it is Browsy Acres, she must be doing some sort of content from 
Well, she, she was is. showing well, the whole time she was off from wrestling, there'd be pictures of her feeding pigs and sheep and wildlife and things of that nature. She was a farm girl. Her and and Travis Brown, the MMA guy, is her husband. So Brown Rousey got to Browsey Acres. That's that's the majority of footage that I saw of Ronda over the past few years. What do you think of the idea now? And again, this is a bit of a hypersensitive time because of the attempt to uh, overthrow the government. But taking that out of the equation. Yeah, just that minor little thing. But what do you think now about the fact that so many wrestlers, their political beliefs or the conspiracies they believe, whatever it may be, that they're out there so publicly? You know, in the past, you watch NWA wrestling, you had to guess what Ric Flair was. Or if you watch WWF, what was Hulk Hogan? Is he a Democrat or Republican? You really wouldn't know. I mean, he loved America. So I guess... You know, the Republicans would grab a hold of him and say he's ours. Well, whichever whichever side, I mean, one really does and the other one claims to for votes. So the fact that this is happening on Twitter. And again, I said, we don't know what's a work and what isn't. It seems a little stiff to be a work. But what do you think about the idea that someone puts their politics out there and then someone throws it back in their face? Well, I mean, if you're going to put something out there that is throwable, backable, then you got to expect that. And, you know, for the people who, They've made up all kinds of excuses. Well, people have Trump derangement syndrome or these people are socialists and they, they're in the corner of China or whatever to explain why the normal, sane, average people call bullshit on a lot of this fucking shit that they make up. Meanwhile, the government's being overthrown on January 6th, but they think it's a tourist attraction. But meanwhile, they're scared of the non-existent marauding hordes of rabid immigrants that are pouring in across the country committing rape and mayhem everywhere when that actually doesn't take place and you know they can watch one on tv and they hear about the other one from their uncle's facebook so naturally they believe their uncle the point is it's not just wrestlers and i've said this before and maybe i ought to make it a t-shirt people were always this stupid we just didn't have twitter there was no way for the average person that you see in New York in the sitting on a cardboard box in the corner of the subway or in West Tennessee on the front porch of a goddamn barbecue joint or some somebody in the parking lot of a gas station that's just gone but you would ne- never have any way to know about them or contact them or have them contact you before social media so We're finding out now that everybody was always this stupid. We just didn't have Twitter. And with instant communication and the social media and the multitudinous news platforms that will tell people either what's actually happening or if they so desire just what they want to hear, it's made all these people seem normal. And I meant Trump's election made horrible, awful, stupid assholes emboldened to be in public the stupid, horrible, awful assholes that they used to just be in private. They used to know, yeah, I really think this, but if I say it, shit, people will not like me because I sound like a fucking moron. But now that there's so many other fucking morons out there that in most cases are even worse than that particular guy, he said, well, I can say all this stupid shit out loud that I really believe because I'm not unusual anymore. So now we find out that it's not just some idiot that thinks there's Jewish space lasers or whatever the fuck. 
There's multitudes of them, and they elect their own kind to public office. So there you go. I don't think it's just the boys. I think it's everybody. All right, Jim, we have some news that has come in. This is being reported on PWInsider.com. Oh, I shudder every... Wait a minute, hold on. What's happened now? What a glamorous entrance there, but Mike Johnson reporting. Stephen De La Roche, the attorney representing WWE Hall of Famer Tammy Sunny Sitch in her criminal proceedings regarding her DUI manslaughter charges in Florida, filed a motion asking the court's permission to withdraw as her legal representation on June 16th, citing an impasse has been reached in the handling of the case, oh making it impossible for the client and attorney to continue to work cooperatively on the case. The client has not complied with the terms of the employment agreement with this attorney. The client will not be prejudiced if the undersigned is permitted to withdraw. The court now, is wait, what, what, hold on, what does that mean? That means it won't hurt the, it won't hurt Tammy if this guy withdraws and she has to get another attorney. It won't hurt the case. Nobody knows that her attorney has already said, fuck it, I can't do anything with this, I quit. The court has yet to approve or deny De La Roche's request. Sitch has been incarcerated for 39 days and counting while awaiting trial, which is yet to be officially scheduled. Oh boy, well, I can see she's as easy to work with as she's always been. So now her lawyer says, fuck it, I quit. And this is not exactly a position you want to be in in this situation, where you have one lawyer that's supposed to be on your side, and he quits. Um, failing to uphold the employment contract sounds like I didn't get a check. But failure to be able to work cooperatively on this case sounds like that Tammy is telling him how to defend her based on what she believes in her head, I guess, that people will actually buy into. And the seizure story, I don't think, is going to fucking fly that she had on Twitter or the I was only going 10 miles an hour or any of the other things that she said over the past however many years when she gets herself in these goddamn predicaments and just lies out of them or tries to. And here we go again. It's going to be really difficult to find an attorney that goes for what I'm going to assume is going to be a scorched earth policy. That's the thing. You could say you want to do all these things and you want to fight it all these ways. You're going to actually have to find an attorney that will do that with you. Well, and also, again, from the statements that she's made publicly, which she shouldn't have done to begin with, she's kind of boxed her defense into a corner because then if she comes out with another story besides what she said on Twitter or wherever it was, then the opposing counsel, as they say, are going, well, why did you say this on such and such date? If your story now is you were at a convention, the Sons of the Desert, um, and I, what it's again, we saw testimony, the January 6th commission hearings. Nobody wanted to represent Trump because they didn't want to go down with the ship. They didn't want to lie and lose their legal licenses like Ronnie Giuliani. Ronnie Giuliani. Yeah. Rudy's older brother, Ronnie. Yes, Jack Pfeffer presents yes. Mayor Ronnie Giuliani. Ronnie Giuliani. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani got disbarred 
because he was lying for pig shit. And the, when you go into court and you're a licensed attorney, you can't just say complete bullshit. If it's provable, it's bullshit. And so it's the same thing. Now, your lawyers quit because they don't want to get this on them. And she's going to have a hard time finding anybody competent that will do whatever it is she wants them to do, which probably is, is not conducive to finding out the truth of the matter. But there you go. Jim, another topic I'm going to bring up, and several people have emailed this in, and I was kind of surprised by it, but I think we should kind of put it to bed because it's pretty easy to put to bed for a few reasons. Well, let's put it, let's give it a cup of beam. Well, we could do that, a cup of beam. It'll never get up again. It will get up again when it's ready to get up, but it'll have a great night's sleep. But what I meant to say, and I didn't mean for you to go off again on this How tangent. How do you know what this thing is going to have a great day or a great night or not? This thing could be troubled. Well, this Maybe up walking the floor instead of having a peaceful night's sleep. Jim, the listeners who have gotten in touch and various other people on Twitter who think that the Vince McMahon stepping down thing is a work. Oh, boy. Can we explain why that is completely impossible? Yeah, yeah, it's because of the publicly traded thing again. What did they think the investigation is already for? Vince doing things he didn't tell people about and or... Telling people he did one thing and did another. You can't tell the people, the people, like the Wall Street Journal and all of the news outlets and a publicly traded company, the CEO is being investigated and is stepping aside unless it's true. There's an actual, it's not just about being a wrestling promotion. There's, Brian, you may know, since you're a financial wizard of your own, uh, what's the exact name of the statute or whatever, but you can't make false statements like that about a publicly traded company or you would be, then be investigated by the shareholders, which is what they're already doing. It's defrauding the investors if you make there false you statements. Yes, yeah, so no, and the believe me, I would have liked to have been there in the room when somebody suggested to Vince McMahon the, the angle that would involve him being publicly linked as a fornicator and stepping down from his position as running the WWE. I would have loved to seen that pitch. And I'd have loved to, if we'd have been on the, on the fourth floor, then we'd have had a lot of time to look at the guy that pitched it as he was on his way down past the third and the second and the first and then the parking garage and then finally the sidewalk below. No, it, that this is not a work. Whatever they do to try to explain this, there may be some elements of work, but this itself is not a work. Can you concur that with me, Brian? Yeah, in storyline, if they did something where Vince McMahon was going to go away, that's allowed. But to put out a statement and to put out comments from the board of directors, put out official corporate information that Vince McMahon is stepping down because of this investigation, his daughter's the interim CEO, if any of that wasn't legit, they are fucked completely. Yeah. So it's all legit. And they, well, he's been fucked in the past, and apparently he enjoyed that $3 million worth, but now he'd be fucked in a, a different way that probably wouldn't be so pleasurable. Well, on this topic, Jim, here's a question, and several people surprisingly have sent in a variation of this. Sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from Andy in Liverpool. 
with Vince McMahon stepping down as WWE chairman, can they not just shave him bald, get him to grow a beard, and have Ezekiel McMahon run WWE? That's been on Twitter. Uh, that was a meme, as the kids say. There was a picture of Vince with this obviously fake beard photoshopped on, and it was like, meet my older brother or younger brother, you know, Elias or Ezekiel McMahon. He'll be running things. If it were only that simple, where where's Lance McMahon when you need another McMahon? Davey Haskins became a member of the Rich family. If you could create a fake McMahon, who would it be? Oh, my God. You know who would have been a fantastic fake McMahon? Who? Think about this. John Cena. Why? Because look at him. He looks like he has the striking genetics that the McMahon family has. He's a, 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 a brilliant orator. He has a deep voice when he wants to. He could have carried that off. Hey, pal, he could have been a great fake McMahon. He could have been Rod McMahon. We never saw Rod. You know who I always thought should play Vince McMahon if they ever made a movie about him? You know the actor Christopher McDonald? Help me. Uh, Grease 2? Happy Gilmore? Well, wait a minute, let, let me go get my... <laughs> Anniversary Deluxe Blu-ray edition of Grease 2. Happy Gilmore, Dirty Work. Okay, I need a picture to... If put... you... Yeah, if you saw him, you would probably get it if you heard his voice, but if you took Vince McMahon in the mid-90s when he got off the gas and all of a sudden he had a neck, <laughs> like, this guy looks just like him. This guy would have been perfect to play him. The steroid period is the problem. Vince... I've, I always was able to see Vince's neck. No, but when he got off the gas and like, go look at when he was at CAC and whatever that was, 96, his neck is like long and skinny in a way I've never seen it before. And he's trim. It's the trimmest we've ever seen Vince McMahon. He, he did go crazy. And what, when he first had the first match, when he actually got in the ring, what was it? Was that 97 or 98? Uh, 90, I want to say 97, but it may have been 98. Because he, he really, he started training. Because... In 96, we would get there on a Wednesday morning, and he had already had a workout in his home gym just by himself. And when he worked at the office, which was every other day of the week besides Wednesday that we weren't on the road, then he worked out in the office gym. There was a full gym in the office. That was they, to, to save money in 95, they took the water coolers out of the office, but they kept the entire full gym and they had a guy that was there as a trainer specifically for anybody who wanted to work out. He worked out there. And I mean, you know, how old was Vince 25 years ago? He's 50. He looked great to me for a 50-year-old man. But I don't really pay attention to things like that. But all of a sudden, a couple of years later, by the time he had that first match and he knows he's going to be out there working, have, have the tank top on, whatever, he started... And now you hear the stories and have heard him for the last 15 years he's got his own personal trainer they they work out together at all odd hours he's you know lifting these massive amounts of weight that's a as he works out more he was always a workout guy obviously that's the big thing with vince but i think he's worked out more over the last 20 years than he used to back then so baby it's just you know Maybe he's trying to reverse the effects of father time. But he forgot motherfucker, and she's the bitch.
You can beat Father Time, but you can't beat Motherfucker. All right, that's a new way. I've never heard it put that way before. Well, Jim, on that, let's move on to our next <laughs> one here. You've never heard that? You could beat Father Time, but you can't beat Motherfucker? Yep, you've never heard that. No. Have you heard that's, that, or did you just make it up? That's because I just said it, I guess. I don't know. Well, Jim, last week on the show, we did a Jim Cornette promo review of Jay Slingblade or Switchblade, whatever the hell he is, White. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on now. What did, what did we say, and what is it? Slingblade, Switchblade? I think we said Slingblade, but it's Switchblade. <laughs> but, <laughs> Either way, it's stupid. One of these, he's slinging them, <laughs> switching them, he's pulling them out. You got a knife there? Got a knife in your pocket? He's not here this week, but for this week's promo review, I have Zack oh Sabre Jr. talking okay. about his upcoming match with Brian Danielson. Have you ever heard Zack Sabre Jr. talk? And I guess you've seen him wrestle. I, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't heard him talk. I probably have seen some clips. I can't remember truthfully having seen any complete matches of mr saber jr because he don't wrestle in this country does he no he's from england he wrestles mostly in new japan uh on a worldwide stage and he's traditionally been very very skinny although extremely talented in the ring i haven't seen him in a few years i don't know how he's filled out at all but apparently- i've heard he i've heard he was good but since he doesn't wrestle on tv here i haven't seen him like Many, many Americans. Well, here's a promo about Brian Danielson. It's about a minute and a half. Let's hear what you think of this. All righty. Oxygen thieves. Huh? House of dickheads. Absolute oxygen thieves. Huh? Ridiculous, isn't it? Those belts, not so long ago, were actually worth something. Goto and bloody Yoshihashi, of all people, raised the level of those belts from the gutter. Now they're absolutely worthless. Useless pricks. Useless pricks. <laughs> what? Oh, I'm talking about useless pricks. Ah, yeah, I've got a bone to pick with you guys. Huh? Senshu. Uh, last week, after Budokan, uh, I was trying to be nice and subtle. I hummed the theme to Final Countdown. Huh? Very beautifully. Huh? But I changed the lyrics. Huh? Are we heading to Venus? But I changed it to, are we heading to Chicago? Huh? Presumably, because I've got the voice of an angel, you bastards edited it out, didn't you? So, no more time for subtlety. Uh, American Dragon, old dragon bollocks. Uh, can you take some time out your busy golfing schedule with the Blackpool Country Club to find out who the best technical wrestler in the world is? But I'll tell you now, darling, it's fucking me. Well, there it is, Zack Sabre Jr., Okay. Well, obviously, this is after another match in New Japan. He's blowed up again, right? Like the last guy was. Correct. And also, at least he wasn't like, fuck you, motherfucker. He's a useless pricks. Again, it's the blowed up thing. They're starting and stopping. But more than that, huh? Huh? He's trying to. Huh? Huh? <laughs> he's trying to do some flowery material. I sang you the final countdown. But the voice, the lilting. Let's face it, anybody from Britain, the United Kingdom, that part of the world that has that accent just sounds so polite. It sounds like a polite accent. Then you've got, he's, he's up here, he's like somebody squeezing his balls. And then it sounded like uh, Dale Spiro like this one. It sounded like Terry Thomas talking to Doris Day in a 60s comedy movie. 
Oh, you useless pricks. I don't know what to do. I I wasn't intimidated by that verbal dressing down. Were you, Brian? If you were the, the target of that verbal disembowelment that he just gave there, would you be shaking like a dog shit and peach seeds? No. I don't know. Can we hear any of these people? Do they talk before they wrestle? Do they ever talk before they wrestle where they've got all their oxygen? Because not only is it hindering their delivery, but I'm thinking possibly lack of oxygen to the brain might be what's resulting in some of this. Do they get to talk beforehand? How do the people know that they're mad at each other if they don't talk beforehand? I'm sure they do some talking beforehand, but those are not the interviews. We don't have any. (laughs) That's exactly right. But Jim, you brought up. What is oxygen face? What is that? Is that what he was saying? I I thought he was said oxygen face. You made an oxygen face. Is that the O face that I hear people talking about? We saw his O face, oxygen face. Oh, I don't know. I'm sure we'll hear from the minions of Zack Sabre Jr. We'll find out. But Jim, he alluded to Chicago and Brian Danielson. Of course, AEW has the Forbidden Door pay-per-view event, as someone just informed me a little while ago. It's this weekend on the show. Yes, just coming up just like that. Snuck right up on us. I have the lineup here. You want to do a review of or a preview of some of the matches that have already been announced? Yes, because I'd like to actually hear you say what matches have been announced because I don't really know what they're going to be. Jericho announced a six-man tag match, and he was either uttering names of people I've never heard of or having a series of audible small strokes on live television. So maybe you can help me slow it down a little bit and tell me who's, who's doing what here. To who? Well, first, I got to go to another site. I'm on the Sporting News website, which you would think would have it, but the only matches they have listed are Moxley versus Tanahashi for the interim AEW world title and Pac versus To Be Announced versus To Be Announced versus New Japan Pro Wrestling Rep for the AEW All-Atlantic <sighs> Championship. Oh, God. Let me see if Wikipedia has any more here. Okay, here we go. AEW has a website, don't they? Uh, let's see what they have they, on their website. Do they put the card for their pay-per-view coming up in less than a week on their own website? If we go to their website, events, upcoming events, Forbidden Door, uh, it shows me where to get tickets. It doesn't actually show me the card. <laughs> Here's where to buy food. What kind of food? We don't know, but you can get it here. Here are results. Here are rankings. I'm not seeing the actual card here. Wait so. a minute, you mean to tell me, and I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna get on here and try to do it with you because you're more technically versed than I am, but it's not readily available on their own website what the card is for the pay-per-view that they are selling this weekend, is what you're telling me. The banner, which has three different things it rotates to, one of them is AEW Dynamite results, one is double or nothing results or order the re- replay. And one is AEW Rampage results. And then under that, they're advertising Wednesday, August 10th, Minneapolis, Minnesota, the debut in that building. And then there's nothing here for the pay-per-view, actually. That is weird. There's nothing here. Interim AEW World Championship match set for Forbidden Door on June 12th. That was uh, uploaded. 
But anyway. All righty then. If you're still there, let's get back to this card that apparently is listed on Wikipedia. And where are here. you? You're finding the card off of Wikip- Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Instead of AEW's own website. All righty. That's right. And one of the matches that's not listed here, but it was just teased, Brian Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. Sounds like they were teasing that. What do you think? But it's not listed there. But it's not listed on Wikipedia. But they, well, Danielson is hurt, is he not? We heard that. He hasn't been on TV in the past couple weeks. He was banged up, I believe the quote was. Out for a few weeks. Think he's going to make it? I don't know. Maybe that's why they didn't announce anything. But here are the matches announced. I will be more than happy to uh, not let Zack Sabre Jr.'s fucking Percival Pinkerton promo uh, cloud my view of his work if I get to see him, but maybe we won't see him. Matches listed here so far. In a three-way winner-takes-all tag team match for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship and the IWGP Tag Team Championship. FTR, the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, versus the United Empire, Great Ocon and Jeff Cobb, the IWGP Tag Team Champions, versus Rapongi Vice, Trent Beretta, and Rocky Romero. Well, now wait, okay, so, but wait. FTR are the Ring of Honor Champions, and Rapongi's are the New Japan pro wrestling tag team champions so they're the no, both titles, no, 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 no 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 what grado khan and jeff cobb are the new japan tag team champions okay grado and cobb are the so both titles are on the line but they they're not held by the same team correct just a bunch of tag team titles up including one that's never been defended here before are ftr about to win the iwgp tag titles Goddamn, they better because I mean, what what happens if if somebody beats the other team? Does any nobody loses anything? As long as this doesn't build up to the Bucks beating FTR in the deciding third match to win <laughs> all of the belts, I'm okay with it. Oh Christ, I don't know what we're gonna see. It's gonna be a three way FTR great, but I don't know if they're that great. We'll see what happens. In a match for the AEW Women's World Championship, Thunder Rosa, the champion, defends against Tony Storm. Oh, shucks. I hope we were going to see a rematch with Marina Schaefer. Um, Rosa and Storm might not be too bad. If I'm not going to watch the three-way tag team match, because why would I? Because it's a, well, FTR's in it. I may watch this one also. For the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Championship, a rather puzzling booking move. Will Ospreay defends against Orange Cassidy. <sighs> what, I mean, again, this guy is supposed to be the best wrestler in the world in some quarters, according to some people. Or at least he was at one time until Twinkle Toes came along. And they obviously, AEW wants to work with New Japan Pro Wrestling They've gone to this length and he brought all these people that none of the nobody's ever heard of here to throw them out there on their television for two weeks. And they bring one of the I guess Osprey's a top guy in New Japan or he wouldn't hold one of their titles. And they put him against the mascot in a joke match. And nobody everybody knows he's not going to win that belt because New Japan wouldn't have that. So I don't 
Yes, I think they said it was supposed to be another match and somebody else is hurt or whatever, but my God, you don't have a capable, legitimate wrestler on the entire roster that's not busy that could wrestle old ostrich. I'm I'm just that's it, it's Mark booking because you know what? Nick Goulas didn't book his son George like this. It I mean, even George was not as annoying and stuck into everything and out there constantly ruining everybody else's matches. And at least he tried. He wasn't any good, but he tried. This guy doesn't try and he's everywhere just because the promoter likes him. Is he out? Is he going to be out there with Osprey? Tony said, sell. You're supposed to sell for me because Tony said. Well, I, I don't understand the whole thing. Why piss off your business partners making one of their top guys lower himself to this level except it's it's tony's favorite wrestler he gets a tickle out of the guy and so he's blind to everything else going on around him go ahead in six-man tag team action otherwise known as a trios match in the world of aew and <laughs> aew language less sex gods of chris jericho and sammy guevara with ty conti along with Minoru Suzuki, will take on Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and Shota Umino. And Shota Umino! That's where I thought that he had finally, the, the, the aneurysm had broken loose and the clot had traveled to the brain. When he says, Shota Animo, I thought he was saying, show me the money. Golly, I wonder who might win that. Wouldn't you know who's going to win the pony, Brian? I think we should bet the farm on Jericho. They just turned Sammy heel again. And Jericho being Jericho. And who's their partner, Suzuki? Yes, Minoru Suzuki. So he and Kingston will stand there and allow each other to hit each other over and over and over and over and over. And then they'll try to shine Sammy a little bit, and they'll probably if they're smart and have any sense, beat the unheard of Japanese guy on the, on the babyface team. Yeah. Eddie Kingston and Suzuki will definitely be just beating the shit out of each other for a while in that match. You'd know that. But it'll be phony at the same time. They will hurt themselves on purpose and it will look incredibly phony because they will do it on purpose. And I can't figure that out. Save my life. Jim in a four way match for the inaugural AEW all Atlantic championship. Oh boy. Pack will take on Miro, will take on either Malachi Black or Pento Obscuro, and they will take on either Clark Connors or Tomohiro Ishii. Wait, Clark Connors, the rifleman? <laughs> Lucas McCain himself? The, is he gonna is he gonna come out? He's six feet six, and he's got that rifle. Old Clark, is he going to have Sheriff Micah Torrance with him? What about his little son, Mark McCain? I don't know. It's a crossover. Who the fuck is Clark Connors? Have we even heard that name before? No. And he's wrestling with... Did you... Our friend Tomohiro Ishii? Well, apparently they're wrestling, and the winner of that match will be in this four-way match. That's so the thing, the thing's six days away, and we've only got two of the four participants for the new title, 
And none of these people, it makes no sense for any of them to interact with each other. Well, no, it's I wouldn't say that. It's just a four-way match. Well, they all won the tournament, and now they're just in a four-way, and they're going to clusterfuck the screen up. And I'm pulling for Ishii because I feel like even though the flag is already shown on the belt, I think Japan should be represented in the All-Atlantic Championship match. I'm I'm saying that that's got to disqualify Ishii because he's not an Atlantic fellow. So right there, there's a loophole. And of course, the main event for the interim AEW... Are we going to watch this show? This sounds horrible. The main event for the interim AEW World Championship, John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Boy, I... I mean, again, there's a New Japan, a contingent of New Japan fans in this country that will probably be overjoyed to see that. But is this the classic example of preaching to the choir? Is there a chance in hell that anybody that doesn't already watch and is familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling will be interested in this show? Because Half these people have not been heard of. Most of the AEW talent that anybody would pay to see is not on it. Punk, MJF, War, where's Wardlow? There's no Starks, Hobbs. There's no... The, 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 the Hardly Boys aren't on the thing. Twinkle Toes is still out, thank God. Point is, less than half of the AEW talent, a bunch of people we've never heard of, Moxley and Tanahashi... If you're a fan of New Japan, as I said, I'm sure will be a great thing. But is this where we find out, okay, this many AEW fans are also New Japan wrestling fans? And and we see whatever, what they do, 150000 for their last pay-per-view. If there's, if this one does 80, to, are we to assume that around 55% of the people that like AEW are also familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling. How much money do people have that they can get these pay-per-views all the fucking time? Especially right now with inflation and everything happening with the economy. The other interesting thing I want to see is what's the number going to be for Wednesday? Last week it nosedived. And I'm sure there was some competition, but nothing heavy, nothing that would cause hundreds of thousands of people to turn off the TV. It's been the build-up to this New Japan show and the loss of the stars people cared about like Danielson, Punk, and MJF. Yeah, well, Danielson, there's no Cole. There's no, there's a variety of, whether you like them or not, there's a variety of top names in AEW aren't on this program. And I said this to Stacy last night during the world-famous Chicken Finger Dinner, because I was telling her she listens to the show, but she's behind a little bit. She said, what are they doing? And I said, they're doing this co-promotion. I said, you know what it would have, if when we went... Delirious and I went and asked for, from Sinclair and specifically Greg the Office Boy, the budget to fly some of the Japanese guys in for Final Battle 2011. And he took the piss out of it. Well, it's New York. We should sell out on him. I said, I'm thinking about the internet pay-per-view. Well, I can't describe the value of these Japanese and the tickets and blah, blah, blah. And then they basically ring of honor got a gift new japan said hey we'll fly our guys over this was in what 2013 14 we'll fly our guys over we'll pay for it just book them we want them to be a big deal in the united states but anyway i told stacy i said if i had got 
the Japanese guys that we wanted for final battle, you know what it would have looked like. We would have got two top guys and two upper card guys. We would have spent four to six weeks on television every week illustrating who those three or four people were, what they had done, and why they were going to be interacting with three or four of the Ring of Honor's top guys. And then the rest of it would have been a regular Ring of Honor show because once you get past the three or four top guys, there's no way to familiarize your fans with that many different people and do it right. And so the law of diminishing returns would kick in and nobody would give a shit. Except the people that were going to buy it anyway when you first announced it. But instead, what they've done is they've taken whoever they can fucking get and they've run them all in in street clothes in two weeks of television to jump and beat up a bunch of other baby faces and heels in AEW that are now interacting with each other as, as teammates, even though they've never been involved with each other before, because some of them have worked for New Japan in the past and have some affiliation with somebody else. So you were reading this fucking book or you were watching this movie but about three quarters of the way through it, we just decided to stop, run a bunch of different people in, have all the people that you already know start liking the people they hate or hating the people they like. And then we're going to, in two weeks' time, we're going to put them all together and see if you can figure out who's who. Have I encapsulated this promotional strategy approximately as you've seen it, Brian? I think so. Well, there you go. So good luck to them. You know, the other thing to think about if we're going to have to watch this thing is watching it's one thing, but it becomes really unbearable due to the commentary. This is going to be Excalibur Unleashed, just oh, yelling out oh. names and moves and, oh, and it's all happening. What do you think, Tony? Oh, my God, this is so exciting, so excited. What do you think, Jim Ross? Eh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> and it's every single match. But there's an option. You want to watch the wrestling but not listen to the wrestling. You could put something else in your ears and listen to something pleasurable. Boy, I tell you what, before I'd listen to excrement uh, called the New Japan AEW co-promotion, I believe I would take large lead 10-penny nails and stick them in my ears. But folks, you can do something that's not nearly as painful and potentially more pleasurable, and that's what you can do is stick the Raycon everyday wireless earbuds in your ears because they look, feel, and sound better than ever with those optimized gel tips. And I'll tell you what, you just keep these things in the refrigerator, and then as soon as they firm up, they'll shake a little bit, and you stick them in your ears, and you, they've got all kinds of flavors. They've got the, the lime and the strawberry. Jello is one of always been one of my favorite desserts, and now they're making these ear tips on the Raycon wireless earbuds out of Jell-O. It's amazing. No, not. Don't say that. Of course, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Jell-O is, is short for gelatin, right? That's what gel is. G-E-L, gelatin. So they're gelatin. No, it's two different things. It doesn't You can nibble mean. on them while you're, while you're listening no, you to your music. Not. You can no. have a snack. You shouldn't eat the Raycons? You shouldn't, and you, you shouldn't. Just don't. Don't eat the Raycons, folks. Put them in your and ear. Stay, stay away from the brown acid, too. Folks, the Raycons, whether they're in your ear as Jell-O dessert or as a nice way to listen to music and podcasts, they're also available with the noise isolation and awareness modes so you can immerse yourself in sound 
you can just jump right in and and you can if you hold your nose you can go all the way underwater in the sound or you can activate the awareness mode and you will know that you're drowning immediately you'll not be able to breathe from that point on Raycons also give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Holy mackerel, I wish they made vibrators with that kind of capacity. And when you need to charge them up, it's super easy. You can even do it wirelessly. You just sit them in the middle of the floor, and you point this special ray gun at the earbuds. They start glowing blue, and when they turn red, then you know they're recharged. But don't point this ray gun at any other living creatures or animals. And you get the same quality audio with the Raycons as other premium audio brands, but at half the price. That's right, you'll only pay half as much for the Raycon. They're only going to send you one earbud, but it sounds great. And if you are one of the lucky people that gets both the earbuds, you can throw these things off a three-story building. You can throw them out in the rain. You can leave them in a snowstorm. You can feed them to the raccoons and the bears, and they'll still work afterwards. If you don't believe me, just wander out in a forest and put the, your ear up to the belly of every ra raccoon and or bear that you find, and you will hear Donna Summer's greatest hits playing out of their fucking gullets because these Raycon Everyday Wireless Earbuds will not stop. They've got over 49,000 five-star reviews, folks, so right now, my guess is you're going to want to leave them a five-star review, too, when you go to Buy Raycon. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash J-C-E. You get 15% off your Raycon order. That's the earbuds, the gel tips, the optional raccoons and bears, whatever they got to sell you, you'll get 15% off with BuyRaycon.com slash J-C-E. And while the listeners can ignore Excalibur and his friends and listen to something else, you could also use this time watching whatever you're watching to listen to the Jim Cornette Experience and Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru, no matter where you are. That's a safe bet every time. I can't imagine the set of circumstances where I wouldn't want to listen to us instead of what I was looking at. Well, Jim, we have... I'm going to be honest. We have a couple of questions I'm going to read here. Sent to CornetteDriveThru at gmail.com from Charlie in Starkville, <sighs> Mississippi. He has good questions, and he's a published author. We could use the rub. He's an author. Here's his first question. Chris Jericho recently explained the concept of the wizard character he is currently portraying. Jericho said, quote, The wizard. What is it? Nothing. What is it? Everything. The character thinks he's a wizard. He can cast these spells in AEW and is the most popular performer and the best wrestler in the world. So that's basically a wizard. What no, your, that's a delusional fuckwit. What are your thoughts on Jericho's take on his wizard character? A wizard is a guy that wears a long robe with stars and moons on it and a big pointy hat and waves a magic wand and sparkly things emerge from it and, and magic tricks happen in front of your very eyes. That's a wizard, not a aging wannabe rock star that discovered flash paper. And what I don't understand the I thought we were going to get an explanation. The wizard, what is it? Nothing, everything. What is that? He's not he's not the, the character. It's Chris Jericho, that's who he is. And everybody knows that it's Chris Jericho doing something else, which for a while was 
was good. He didn't do the same thing for 30 years, but now it's every three weeks. And what the fuck? Take up collecting stamps if you've got a midlife crisis. But what about the way Chris Jericho is presenting himself that would make you think or want to believe that he's a wizard? It doesn't make sense. Do you understand what he just said there? The gimmick doesn't make sense. His explanation doesn't make sense. I think it's just a bad idea and he doesn't like it. He's not coming out saying poof and, you know, things happen. Because then that would be as bad as Matt Hardy teleporting through time and space and changing clothes in an ice machine. No, it's more about trying to get a cheap pop for him just saying randomly, because I'm a wizard, during his promos. (sighs) Well... The Grand Wizard didn't say he was a wizard that often. You made all the viewers disappear last week. What happened? <laughs> That's something he pulled out of his hat. He, he, they touched the remote and turned the channel. <laughs> Jim, we have another... <laughs> oh, that was really good. Jim, we have another question from Charlie in Starkville, Mississippi. I'm sure we do. Adam Cole recently said the biggest reason he signed with AEW is his relationship with Britt Baker. What are your thoughts on Cole's personal relationship with Baker being the biggest reason for him leaving WWE? And what do you think about the growing number of high-profile relationships between male and female wrestlers in both companies? Second question first, I mean, I'm happy if anybody's happy, but traditionally and historically, That's been a problem in the locker room since it started happening because what happens when you break up and you're, you know, in in the old days, there weren't that many women in the locker room to begin with. And most of them were already with one of the guys. That's how they got there to begin with. But in times where there was an unaffiliated female talent and with unaffiliated male talents, and they got together when the inevitable happens You had to get rid of one of them. And usually the girl was the one that would go because she was less valuable to the roster. So now there's nowhere to go because they're all under contract for extended periods of time. So that may lead to some, and not just in the WWE, but in some of the other companies. And wouldn't it, oh God, what was their name? The tag team, the one guy that I said they had bad hair and prison tattoos. They were on NXT. MSK. MSK, yeah, if all these initials. His wife got mad at him for asking for a divorce, so she sent the picture out of him acting like Hitler and got him fired. You know, that's the thing with people getting together and still being in the locker room. As far as the original part one of Charlie's question, how was it phrased exactly again? Uh, hold on, let me pull it up once again. I actually just took it off this page. Well, okay, you, you're that short and done with Charlie? Adam Cole recently said the biggest reason he the, signed with AEW is his relationship okay. with Britt Baker. The biggest reason, not the only reason, but the biggest reason. I mean, to me, the biggest reason would have probably been money unless it was close. If it was close, then yes, you'd want to go and work where you're wife or spouse or significant other is working. But to me, in there somewhere between, I just want to work in the same place as my wife so we can travel together. And if the money's comparable, that would sway me in the right direction. 
But I, if maybe Adam's told on himself, I would have asked a little more of how am I going to be used? And because he was, he was a top guy in NXT, but then again, they just disemboweled NXT. So they probably would have sabotaged him to begin with, but I would have been sitting down with Tony like I sat there when we talked to Vince McMahon in 1986 when we were in the Carolinas, me at the midnight, or like we talked to, I talked to Jim Crog and Dusty Rhodes on the phone before we made that deal. How are you going to use us? Who are we going to work with? What might some of your plans be and how, you know, how are we going to be figured in? That type of thing. So, again, if he wasn't happy in the WWE, let's say even wanted to take less money, before just saying, oh, I'd love to come there and work with Britt, he should have got sat down with Tony and said, how are you going to use me? And if you have no ideas, maybe I need to give you some. Because now if he'd have done that and give more importance to what he was going to be doing on television rather than just, I'm going to be here, then we wouldn't have seen him systematically destroyed over the last, what, four months has it been now, five months, however long it's been, to the point where who gives a shit if he's around or not? They took a talent and completely neutralized him. Was that because he was just so tickled to come to work with Brit that he didn't bother to, and he didn't care about the money? He didn't bother to think, do you have ideas for me? What am I going to be doing? Who am I going to be interacting with? That's been the biggest problem. So that's something that I would have obviously spent more time on than apparently he did because it's come back to bite him in the ass. And after this short a time, whatever length of contract he signed, he's useless now to the company. Nobody gives a shit. So I would have spent more time on that, but that's just me. All right, Jim, our next question sent to Courtney drive through at gmail.com from Brian in Wiley, Texas. Where's Wiley, Texas? Do you know? I don't have a goddamn clue. I grew up watching world-class championship wrestling in the 80s in North Texas. Okay, it's in North Texas, Brian. And recently saw that there is a Von Erich movie in development with Zac Efron attached to Star. Perhaps as Kevin. Maybe it's going to be set today with older Kevin looking back on his family. This is Brian from Wiley, Texas's opinions here. What are your thoughts on this possible movie? If you were a consultant, how would you cast or approach this story? What are your thoughts on Ross and Marshall's present and future potential in the industry? Can they get a shot in AEW or WWE? There's actually two topics there, I guess. Ross and Marshall. Yeah, there's a lot uh, all over the place there. Um, I met Ross and, Ross and Marshall in MLW, and they're great kids, and we've talked about them. They don't have any bad habits. They're family people, whole nine yards, very respectful, uh, great athletes. They're they're not going to get a shot in the WWE because that ho that horse has sailed, <laughs> or that boat has left the barn. Um, they're and if they did, they wouldn't be Von Erichs. That name would well, be taken away from yeah. them right away. Exactly. They the WWE would take away the main thing that gets them attention, but also they're already in their thirties. They've got kids. They live in Hawaii in a beautiful place. They're not gonna fucking 
move to Florida and go through the performance center. Um, AEW, the same thing. They, the Von Erich boys, they probably could have been smoother workers than they are now if they'd have started earlier and not lived in paradise. But because they do, they're cut off from easy access to independent shows, you know, just bopping over in the car to make $100 or less to work a show just to get experience. Yes, they can work out to their heart's content with their dad and diving off cliffs into the water to do moonsaults and stuff like that, but they never got the chance to get repetition, experience, go to a school to get different or a training center to get different outlooks on things and just build the muscle memory and do this over and over. They didn't get a chance to do that. So they've made shots and they, they uh, on a limited basis have made a name for themselves somewhat, but they're not going to, nor should they at this stage of their lives. And with all the other things they've got going on, such as families and living in paradise should they uproot everything and, and start at this late stage of their ages? So I like the kids, but, you know, no, it's not going to happen for those reasons. It's not any shortcoming on their part. As far as who could cast that movie, gee, many Christmas, I have no clue where you'd find anybody that looks like Carrie. I've heard about the movie happening. Is basically all of, I don't know who's producing it, whether there's a legitimate you know, big-time studio behind it. I honestly, Brian, scoff at me if you will. If you held a gun to me and said, pick Zach Efron out of a police lineup, does he look like any of the Von Erics? Not particularly, but, you know, he is in shape. He's younger looking, even though he's not as young as he used to be. So he could fit one of those roles. I'll say, if he wants to prove he's a really great actor, play Mike. <laughs> oh, come on now. Now, really, make that role something special. I think Mike Von Erich gets the shaft too often. People are just, oh, he didn't want to be a wrestler. Oh, he wasn't very good. Or, oh, this and that. There's a complex guy in there before everything goes wrong. And then after the septic or the um, toxic shock syndrome, then he's a completely different guy. His brain is fried. But there's a story there that's fascinating. I never met him before the. Uh, the first incident he had, I don't think, did I? Wasn't that, or was that after? No, yeah, you were there because nothing happened until after the Israel tour when he hurt his shoulder. Shit, that's right. Okay, well then in that case, Brian, I met Mike Von Erich. There wasn't a complex guy in there. He was not complex. He was nice. Well, there, complex. there is what a great actor can do. They can make Mike Von Erich into a complex, interesting character. Who's going to play Waldo? I don't know if Waldo's going to make the movie. I have a feeling that side of the family is going to be... Although Lance is a big part of the story, the fake cousin they make up, and then it backfires on them. You have to think that would be probably part of the movie. Who's going to play Fritz? Who well, in Hollywood would play Fritz Von Erich? <laughs> you know what? We say this every time that there's a wrestling movie or a wrestling TV show, and with Young Rock, we everybody that they get, with the exception of... The Bam Bam Bigelow guy didn't look too bad. And Luke Hawks got Austin's promo, but not obviously facially. 
But most of these people look like ridiculous, what do they say, great value imitations or what you order on Wish or whatever. And I think we've we've hit on something. The reason why that main event wrestling stars or main event wrestling stars is in large part because nobody else looks like them. And they got that going for them. So good luck. I don't know. You're going to find anybody to look like Fritz or Carrie or even Kevin. David may be a stretch. How many six foot five buck tooth cowboys you got out there? What's Eric Stoltz doing? <laughs> but anyway, I, it's up in the air. But maybe we'll see it at a at a movie palace near us. Jim, another topic that various people sent in a clip about, and I saw this and retweeted on Twitter because I got a big kick out of it. Did you see MJF was recently talked about on the Wendy Williams show hosted by Sherry Shepard? I actually, I, this is another thing I saw on Twitter. I did not watch the clip because uh, I was rushing and didn't have time. And I, you know, I thought maybe it was clickbait or whatever. And I, I heard Wendy Williams isn't hosting anymore. That's a shame. But uh, who is Sherry Shepard and what did she have to say about MJF? She used to be on The View and then she left The View. I'll play you. you know, I forgot to watch The View for the all remainder of my life, ever. Well, she got away from Barbara Walters, and now she's the guest host of the Wendy Williams Show, but Wendy Williams herself was nice enough to tweet this out. I have some audio we'll play. We'll break it up a few times to get your thoughts. But here's the introduction. A very interesting thing that they say about MJF at the start. Let's play this. I'm so excited to be here. I got to tell you, there is a story that I forgot to tell you all the other day. Um, when I was flying from Los Angeles to New York, I had an encounter with a former child star who appeared on the Rosie O'Donnell show back in 2001. Okay, so at the time, he was five years old, and some of you may remember him because his name is Maxwell Jacob Friedman. And Rosie had him on as a guest. He came on at five, and he came to sing. This little cutie... Cutie patootie, he was so adorable, and, and Rosie wanted to hug. You could tell he didn't even want to give Rosie a hug. He just was like... <laughs> <laughs> now, young Max did not grow up to become a professional singer. He's wonderful. He is now 26 years old, and he goes by the initials MJF, and he's a professional wrestler, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is... Right, let me stop it there for a second. Former child star. I love former child star. <laughs> MJF, would you, the Rosie O'Donnell show, I'm not trying to belittle MJF's uh, past careers, but the Rosie O'Donnell show would have probably been the pinnacle of that child stardom, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, unless he somehow got on a background scene on Sesame Street, I think Rosie O'Donnell is probably as good as it would have gotten. Yeah, he's been doing more community theater since he joined AEW than he has the rest of his life. <laughs> That's true. Interesting reactions, though, from the audience there. Again, a mostly female audience, if not... No, there's a man there. Mostly there's female a audience. <laughs> a mostly female audience reacting with oohs and ahs to MJF and his name. What do you think of that? Well, they, they, they oohed, uh, I'm sure, the video at first when he was a cute little peckerhead. Um on Rosie, but then they ooed, and it was like there was some recognition of who he was when she revealed he's a, re a pro wrestler named MJF, and everybody, oh, kind of like, oh, some of them knew. So maybe they're, they're closet wrestling fans. 
watching over their spouse's shoulder. You know, maybe a growing conversation, whatever he ends up doing, the idea that he is one of the more recognizable pro wrestlers in the world. Even people who don't necessarily watch wrestling, if you flip by once and you saw him acting like a dick, you're never going to forget his face. Yeah, and he gets a lot of outside publicity for the various things he does where he continues to be himself and act like a dick out in public, and more than so than most people. Because now they're so surprised when they're not disappointed when they meet a wrestler and he turns out to be a big phony. Well, let's see how he acted here. Let's go back to Sherry Shepard's story. This is a professional wrestler. MJF. And I guess the J in MJF stands for jerk, okay? And I'm going to tell y'all why. Because that's what he was acting like when I met him at the airport when we were waiting in the lounge. Not nice at all. And see, my son Jeffrey, he is a big wrestling fan. He knows all of the wrestlers. So he spotted MJF while we were waiting for the plane, Norman. Uh -huh. And, you know, Jeffrey was really nervous about going up to him and asking for an autograph. Because you don't know. And so I said, I'll do it for my baby because I'm Mother Bear. So I said I would go up and ask him for an autograph. And I know how to be with celebrities. I know they don't want you to do a lot of talking, Norman. So I was very nice, and I tapped him gently on the leg. And I said, excuse me, are you the famous wrestler MJF? He snapped back. He said, no. <laughs> and so I, I said, okay. I said, but, well, do people tell you that you look like the famous wrestler MJF? Then he snapped back. He went, yes. And he put his headphones on and he turns away from me. Okay? And I wanted to say to him, I don't like your tone. That's what I wanted to tell him. And I was just like, he got one more time to snap at me before I laid a smack down on him. I was not playing. You go, really? Let me stop it there for a second. Any thoughts on all this? Well, obviously, I guess MJF didn't know that the fan bugging him at the airport had a national network television program where he was going to be hearing about it afterward. Would you know Sherry Shepard if she walked up to you? I know the name. I may recognize her, but she looks kind of different than I remembered her looking, so... I probably would. I probably So would. probably here's MJF doing what he always does. He's staying in gimmick and he's probably pissed off because is anybody ever happy to be in an airport? And here comes somebody. Are you the famous wrestler? No, leave me alone. <laughs> and here's the story on fucking network television. That's great. But it adds to the gimmick. And again, it exposes him to an audience that isn't watching AEW Dynamite. Yeah. And and everybody knows there's a bunch of them. Let's go back to this audio. Like, and then, like, Jeffrey was standing right there, and he was smiling and everything. And then Jeffrey tells me, he goes, no, Mom, MJF is a bad guy, and he's supposed to be a jerk. And, I t you, and I'm like, no. But here's the thing, y'all. I told my son, I said, but no, no, no. See, he don't know what a real bad guy is unless he pisses off a black mama trying to get a photo for her son. <laughs> I'm trying to get a photo for my baby. Like, I wasn't bothering him, Norman. I just wanted a little picture. I was so mad at him. And Marco, this is when I remembered because I thought that you said you had thought about becoming a pro wrestler yeah. at one time. So I want to know, would you have drop kicked him, uh, MJF, if you was there with me? Yeah, I definitely, I would have DDT'd him for sure. For sure. Bring him. Okay, I don't know who this guy is. He's either the security guard or he works on the show or 
He warms up the crowd. I don't know. This is just some guy standing at the side of the stage. Well, now was this the end of the interaction? Did 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 she go all black mama wanting to get a picture with her son on him, or did he get the picture? Or what was the resolution of this thing? We'll go to the resolution. I hate to say that it made me think of it. One of the greatest awful lines in wrestling history. Remember when Brandy Rhodes confronted Dan Lambert and she said, "You may have a black belt, but I'm a black bitch." Yeah. <laughs> Well, it got a pop, but now here's the thing you know the questions the questions that the boys get asked and have for years and years i've been at everybody because they'll see you and people might be pointing at you and they're not sure or they are you they think you're somebody else or whatever but i've been asked at wrestling shows when i was standing back behind the fence in the arena or out on the high school football field or whatever, watching the matches, standing there with the wrestlers, somebody would come up and, are you anybody? Or this is a better, did you used to be somebody? Or didn't you used to be Jim Cornette? Yeah, but I quit that a long time ago. That type of, the, just the questions, sometimes you want to have a little fun. Well, once again, MJF's in the airport in Los Angeles when this is happening. Let's go back to this audio. Right there with a DDT MJF. So I literally, Norman, I said, well, maybe, I'm, maybe I am wrong. I wanted to make sure that this, the man that was being a jerk to me uh, was really MJF. So I was acting like TMZ, y'all. And I snuck, <laughs> I snuck a picture of him when we were on the plane because he was right in front of us. And I texted my producing partner, John Murray, and I said, because he's into wrestling, too. Uh -huh. And I said, is this the wrestler MJF? Because Jeffrey said it was. And he replied, he said, yes, it was him. So, you know what? I was like, I know somebody big and bad to deal with MJF. I hit up my friend. He's Hall of Famer and former world's strongest man, Mark Henry. So, Mark Henry. <laughs> what? Wow. Because it turns Mark Henry works with MJF now at All Elite Wrestling. And so Mark Henry does not look like anybody MJF would say no to. Exactly. Like it did me. So Mark, when I told Mark, you know, because I had to play it up, I was like, Mark, and then he said no to me. And then he said, and Jeffrey was on the floor crying. Uh, so Mark told me that he was going to handle it. So Mark, I thank you for uh, talking to MJF. How about that? How about that for free publicity? <laughs> and can you imagine when Mark went up to MJF and said, hey, were you rude to somebody's kid at the airport? Well, how'd you know? No, it's even better well, than that. Can you imagine Mark, two days after everyone's talking about MJF no-showing a meet and greet? And then he's not at the show except for his match, and then he vanishes. And then he comes, and he does that promo on Dynamite and walks out through the crowd. The next day, you're minding your own business, and Sherry Shepard calls you up. This MJF just yelled at me and my son in the airport. <laughs> He's everywhere. He's the modern-day El Cabong. Uh, MJF. They gave this, they gave this five headline. minutes. They gave this five minutes on TV. Hey, and at least... That's national they also, TV. They mentioned the right promotion because usually whatever wrestling is, he's a big WWE guy. But at least they got the company right. See, Tony ought to make Sherry Shepard his chief brandy officer. 
Well, now let's really think I'm, about this. I'm surprised that woman, I'm surprised with her son being treated like that, that she didn't seek any kind of legal recourse. Well, I was going to actually say, I would think if I was Tony Khan and MJF is just on this campaign of hate and just attacking <laughs> innocent people and children in airports, I think I may talk to another attorney other than Mega and say, what can I do to really punish this little bastard? That's right, and we all know that if you want somebody punished, if you want somebody miserable, if you want somebody at their wits' end, just introduce them to this man. Call Stephen P. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, just a few minutes of conversation with Stephen P. New can make somebody miserable. That's right, positively miserable. He will roast them and walk them across Texas and make them sell like they're going to the electric chair. Because Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084, not only takes up cases of of children that have been slandered and 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 told off at airports and mothers that are wringing their hands over what to do about it. But if you've been wrongfully terminated from your job or harassed in any way, you know what? Stephen may ought to move to Stanford. I hear they got a lot of these harassment, wrongful termination cases going on up in Connecticut. But also, if you've been poisoned by a big company, if your rights or your Health has been infringed on. Anybody in your family or social circle that you know with any of these issues, newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. The man, the consigliere of the cult of Cornet, can help as well. He is a, as we've mentioned many times, a philandering philanthropist over there in West Virginia, raising money for children's athletic uniforms, feeding the homeless, righting wrongs, carrying the banner for justice everywhere in the legal courtroom and outside. That's right, Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. Sherry Shepard, write that number down. I believe you've got a case. Tony Khan, write that number down. You may have a case. That's right. He's slandering everybody. Old MJF. Well, I'm... I'm surprised he hasn't even said unkind things about you and me, Brian. He's, he's just lost his mind. He's so full of anger. But you'll be full of money <laughs> when Stephen P. New gets you paid, and the other guy will be full of anger. All right. <laughs> you, everybody the, wants to be full of it. Sometimes I think the spot's done, and then it just happens again. It's like, oh, we we're back in it. I didn't even realize. Yeah, All we're right. back there. Back there again. While every other pizza company out there is trying new things on top of their pizza, Papa John's just flipped pizza night on its head by doing something completely new on the bottom. Introducing the new crispy parm pizza with a layer of buttery toasted Parmesan cheese baked on the underside of our signature thin crust. That's because we know the first thing your tongue touches when you take a bite is the bottom. So try the new crispy parm pizza from Papa John's. It's living awesome.
Well, Jim, this next question sent the corny drive through at Gmail. We got music on this program. We have a couple songs coming up momentarily. I'm ready to do a tap dance. Go ahead. This song was sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from John O. Wait, so you just you just dropped the last question. No, I'm going to the last question right here. You said this song. Did I say song? You, you fuck- said this song. You have messed me up with your hijinks here this week. <laughs> this next question was sent to corny drive through gmail.com. Oh, God. Don't hurt yourself. From John O. in Long Island, New York. (laughs) I know for most of history, the managers and corner men have been used to hype up their wrestlers and cut a promo for them when needed. But in kayfabe, why are managers allowed at ringside? With the amount of cheating that they've done, shouldn't there have been some rule, either in the NWA or other territories, to prevent managers from being at ringside to avoid interfering? Without that rule... The only way I could see promoters allowing... <laughs> Again, he's in kayfabe. I got to remember myself. Without that rule, the only way I could see promoters allowing ringside managers is if they expect the referees to have the memories of goldfish. <laughs> Plus, it might be harder for fans to buy if... Oh, excuse me. For fans to buy it if interference and DQs even happen occasionally since you wouldn't see an NFL coach rush the field with a tennis racket or pull someone's leg to help. Any insight into this part of the wrestling business and psychology here would be appreciated. Well, yes, we've talked before that managers and seconds go back in boxing and wrestling and any combat sport. The, the MMA fighters now have a whole procession and team that goes out with them. But at the turn of the 19th into the 20th century, that was the thing is every fighter is allowed to have someone in their corner, right? This goes back to the days of John L. Sullivan and William Muldoon and et cetera. And it just so happened that the way that wrestling worked out, the manager or the second or the part, whoever the corner man was, was probably predisposed to interfere at a certain crucial time And that's the reason why that most of the babyface wrestlers, most of the wrestlers that were honorable and straight up and scientific, they didn't have corner men, but the heels did because they didn't mind taking a shortcut, but they would obviously, like everything else, it started completely believably where there would just be a slight referee distraction or a guy knocking a guy's foot off the rope at the right time or, you know, something simple that could actually happen. And when that got heat, then it was magnified and played upon, and then there became more managers and more interference. And then finally, you know, it was pretty much accepted by the fans that a manager, anytime he got the chance, was going to interfere on behalf of his guys, but a good referee wouldn't let him until finally something happened where the poor referee through no fault of his own was distracted and the manager did the one thing at the one time at the split second that it meant something. And that's great when you've got people that know how to portray all of that. But then everybody got sloppy. So, you know, and then it got prostituted where they were interfering and they were burying the referee and Guys who couldn't 
you know, get the point of interfering in and out quickly and, and putting, not putting the heat on the referee and et cetera, et cetera. And then it became a thing to where like today's modern wrestling and over the last 20 years, everybody running wrestling grew up watching everything and not knowing what was the good part and the bad part and where to draw a line and just, oh, that's what managers are supposed to do. They interfere. Except now in the WWE, there are no managers except for Heyman, and he doesn't interfere. But everywhere else, they go crazy. And yes, it had gotten, you know, out of hand and too much. But, and as far as disqualifications, yes, the, there were probably in the territory days more disqualifications in programs, in main event programs, than there were actual clean finishes. Because why? Unless it was going to be the heel fucks the baby face and beats him illegally to continue the program, every once in a while, the baby face would slip over and get a victory, and then the heel would turn around and get heat on him again afterwards, do something fucking horrible. But most of the time, you didn't want your baby face to win the program until the end of it, because then people would quit coming once the baby face won. They wouldn't want to see any more of it. That's why the babyface was a main event babyface because he got win after win after win after win when he came in the territory and win after win after win to climb up the card. And then you start beating him with your top heel and he has to overcome all these obstacles to win in the end. So there were deep more DQs than there were anything else because that fit the fucking picture. And if you're doing a 13-week program where guys are going to wrestle 13 fucking weeks in a row, you're going to have to DQ some of those things and then shoot an angle afterwards for the next week or whatever. And before wrestling fans got fucking weird and everybody lost their minds that's running the business, nobody yelled and screamed about disqualifications except they were upset if their guy didn't win the fucking belt or the match. If the babyface won by disqualification, they were just as happy with that because at least he won, but they still wanted to see him win the title or pin the three count or get even or whatever. So that's what that is. And it just now, it's as preposterous as everything else in wrestling because people lost sight of how it started and what the purpose was and ended up just making it another thing that everybody does. All right, Jim. Well, before we wrap up with a few songs, we have some breaking news. Uh, wait a minute. Hold on. What now? As being reported by Mike Johnson, PW Insider and PWInsiderElite.com, Vince McMahon and Oliver Luck settle XFL lawsuit. Oh! A settlement has been reached in the lawsuit brought against Vince McMahon by former XFL commissioner Oliver Luck just weeks before the planned commencement of the trial on July 11th in Connecticut. Despite settlement talks last week ending after just nine minutes, <laughs> a filing on June 17th requested the United States District Court of Connecticut seal all documents related to the case. So they're waiting for the court to officially okay everything, but a settlement has been agreed upon. What do you think about the timing of this? 
Well, last week the talks ended in nine minutes. That was before the announcement of Vince's other legal issues. It was the same day, wasn't it? Maybe. <laughs> I think it was the same day. You know, I, he picked the wrong day to quit sniffing glue last week. I'm assuming that he said, okay, first things first and most important things most important, and let's get out of this. And they sealed it, which means that we won't know the terms of the settlement, who admitted they were right and who they were wrong, and what was paid to who and et cetera. So that won't necessarily prejudice public opinion or anybody else on Vince's current predicament, but if they broke down after nine minutes last week and all of a sudden they've settled, I think that's an uh, indication that Vince would like to clear up some of the flea market bullshit he's involved in, tackle the main stuff. And actually on that point, let's just go through the numbers real quick, again from Mike Johnson's article here. Luck had sued McMahon over his departure, which took place just as the league filed for bankruptcy in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic and before it was purchased by a group of investors led by The Rock and Danny Garcia, who aimed to relaunch the league in 2023. Luck's contract called for a $5 million annual salary and a yearly $2 million bonus through June 30th, 2023. Luck alleges he is owed $23.8 million remaining on his contract, as well as other damages and his attorney fees. McMahon filed a countersuit against Oliver Luck, former XFL commissioner, alleging Luck all but abandoned his duties as the pandemic took hold, and that even before this point, Luck ignored McMahon's direction when it came to the signing of former NFL wide receiver Antonio Callaway by XFL's Tampa Bay Vipers. Jim, he was suing for $23.8 million. Talks ended in nine minutes, and now there's a settlement. Well, and he didn't get that. I'm pretty sure we can surmise that he didn't get everything asked for. But part of the thing was Vince, Vince, yeah, fired him uh, so he wouldn't have to pay him. And they were closing the whole thing down. The COVID came. He got buyer's remorse. Second XFL closed down. But thing that Luck fucked up on was Vince had said, I don't want to hire any football players with bad criminal records or bad PR or whatever. We got to keep the keep the players clean. And that led to a great deposition exchange last week when <laughs> the opposing attorney asked Vince McMahon, said, well, have you ever been accused of a felony or criminal charge? Well, whatever. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. Then you technically wouldn't be able to play for an XFL team uh, yourself. And he said, no, but I'm the owner. So it doesn't count. <laughs> but anyway, Luck signed a guy, the guy you mentioned, and Vince found out about it. He'd had charges or he'd done something. And Vince said, fire this guy. I don't want him. So instead of firing him when Vince told him to fire him, Oliver Luck let the guy go out and practice. And they were going to tell him when he came back and he went out and got hurt in practice. And they had to pay him what his contract, several million dollars or whatever the fuck it was, enough to make Vince pissed. I can tell you flat out that if Vince says do something and you don't do it, and by the time that you can do it, it's cost him a bunch of money because you didn't do it, he ain't happy. And so that that's what's so... Vince had something on him as well. That's why they were fighting about it. 
Although, so again, I assume they met somewhere in the middle. Again, he was filing for bankruptcy and then he realized he owed all this money to Oliver Luck. It just so yeah. happened that this all happened at the same time. Yes. So it was brought to Vince's attention. <laughs> hey, guess what this guy did? I mean, yeah, but again, what, did I need some, send me someone from legal. Send me I need an egg. A paralegal. <laughs> okay. That that should be illegal. But it maybe paid him half. What's twenty million to Vince, right? With all he's got going on right now. At least we don't have to worry about poor Oliver. Oliver will be fine. All right, Jim. Well, let's get away from cousin Oliver and let's wrap up with a few songs here. This first one sent to Corny Drive through gmail.com from Johnny Mosh. Let's go to this. <laughs> Hardly boys match He starts to run a batch Seven star ratings are absurd You better not say a word Dave Meltzer's watching you Every single day And every word you say Any criticism you make Any Twitter hot take Dave Meltzer's watching you. <laughs> Why can't he see the circus Olay foolery? Uncle Dave's heart breaks with every statement Jim makes. The TV shows weren't great, and the matches looked fake. No room for healthy debate for Olivier. Sake, Dave Meltzer is watching you. <laughs> well, that appears to be it from Johnny Mosh. <laughs> Did you ever think when this started that Lior would be influential in the way? <laughs> the I, way I was about to say, Lior's American cousin has been found, ladies and gentlemen. What a piece of business there. Well, thank you very that much. Describes. Johnny Mosh. Let's get another one here. This one sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from Andrew in Dublin, Ireland. In varsity clothes, I spit onto her face. Oh, fuck, it doesn't show. You see the lights turn off and then turn on again. I've really disappeared. I won't return again. Just kidding, here I am. Tree branches on my head. Jobbers by my side I hope that my push ain't dead 
I look down at myself and see my mouth is black. I see my attire, I've made sure it's all black. You see the lights turn off and then turn on again. You see the lights turn off and then turn on again. You see the lights turn off and then turn on again. You see the lights turn off and then turn on again. If I spit hard enough, I still will probably miss. <laughs> and they'll have to pretend they've been covered in mist. You see the lights turn off and then turn on again. This isn't getting old, Tony is loving it. I see that Cody Rhodes is no longer here. I'm gonna take his spot, my wife is fucking hot. Standing up for that one. Well, sit back. Oh, oh my God. That was it. We got some talented people out there. Way too talented in some cases. And a lot of them are over across the pond. That's right. Well, let's, for our last song, let's go right back here to the States. By the way, great job with that one, especially the end with your sound being used for the uh, sitar <laughs> on the song. But for our final song, let's go to. Nashville, Tennessee, sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Johnny Angel. If that is indeed his real name. Let's go to this. That is this record heat wave that we are currently experiencing here in the metropolitan Louisville, Kentucky area. <laughs> oh, no. Sometimes I stare in space. Tears all over my face. I can't explain it. It's high blood pressure got a hold of me. Or is this the way love's supposed to be? It's like a heat wave. Burning in my heart. Can't keep from crying. It's tearing me apart. It's like a heat wave. I'd like to apologize to Barry Gordy and his family. <laughs> oh, they thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. I'd be glad to do that on any street corner for change. Well, there it is. Johnny Angel. A great job there mixing that up or mashing that up. But with that, Jim, the drive-thru is closed. I don't have the energy for the sacks this week. That's what that's what Suzanne said last week. You didn't have the energy for the sacks. Oh, will you stop it? I always have the energy for that, sacks. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> You, you might better just do the plugs. I don't know you're going to get out of this one gracefully. Well, Jim, of course, you get to hear the Jim Cornette experience when it debuts this weekend. And, of course, the drive through next week. If there happens to be some major breaking news, of course, check in with the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. Subscribe today. Travis Heckle artwork, full shows, clips of shows, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel, and both podcasts available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. 
Of course, you can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the archive going back to the beginning in 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Don't forget about Cornette's collectibles at jimcornette.com. What's the status? The status? What's the, the frequency, status is, Kenneth? Fine. What's the frequency, Kenneth? It's fine merchandise at affordable prices and fun for the whole family at jimcornette.com. No waiting. Make the feather bottoms miserable. At jimcornette.com. Of course, the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week, right back here on The Drive-Thru, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them dork order bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru, Corny's drive-thru. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Pienu, everybody. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Last. Hello everybody and welcome to this special breaking news update. This special breaking news update on the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel that I have demanded to do because there's big goings on, there's big doings, big happenings. A momentous thing has occurred in the professional wrestling landscape 
and I got to be right here to talk about it, and I got to be right here to crow about it. As a matter of fact, he better start looking up the old corny crows sound effect, because there's going to be some crowing and some crow-eating here today. And to join me, my cohort and co-host, the sound effect man, the man who's going to be eating that crow pie, that crow cake, those crow cats, none other than the great Brian Last. Brian, are you ready to be browbeaten today? I don't know what I'm ready for. We're sitting here in the office. The fine people at Arcadian Vanguard were working on the drive-thru. It's in production right now. The Minions. And you call me up and you say, we got to record something breaking news. We've established this now for the channel. When something big is going on, we have a breaking news segment in between shows. Even though we're in the middle of, we're almost done with recording the, or editing the drive-thru. The news is, it's shattering. The news is shattering all over the place. Every day there's more shattered news. Shattered news and shattered dreams on the boulevard of life. And we're doing it again. So what is the breaking news that Bruce is you in charge of? You don't know. You know what it is. You don't try to know. Don't swerve these people's heads around and try to play dumb. You know that you're going to get talked to here today because I was right about something and you were wrong. The That's the big news. I was right and you were wrong because Vince McMahon made a special appearance on Monday Night Raw just 12 hours ago as we speak, maybe. And he was on Monday Night Raw, and he was grinning from ear to ear. And what did we talk about? On the last breaking news update we did, on the experience last week, we brought everybody all the way up to date on all of the allegations and permutations and tribulations that had been leveled against Vince McMahon, ending up with him being forced to step aside as CEO temporarily while that he's investigated, gets to keep his creative job, and here comes Stephanie. Now she's back from leave to be the interim CEO. She probably even gets her own belt because the interim champions always get a belt. That's where we left the experience, right? Right, I believe so. That's, that's right. I'm leading leading you along to I believe make so. sure that I'm not telling any lies or perpetrating any false information here. No, that has not started yet. No. Oh God, that had well, good. You didn't see if I do this seamlessly, you'll never notice. So then we did the breaking news update on Saturday morning because Vince was on SmackDown on Friday night, and he came out there. And it was very short and sweet, and what I said, the summation that I gave of that, knowing Vince McMahon, as I do, we're still on each other's Christmas card list. I said he did. There was two main reasons he did that and two main audiences. One, I said, I can see him reacting like the president in the movies when the terrorists attack, the people got to see me. He went out there and made sure that the stockholders knew for the stock price he was still around and also to put it in the face of the people who were leveling these perpetrations and allegations. And secondly, personally, that was business, and personally he did it for those fans because he went out there and he reminded them subliminally in that perfect psychological way he's got that I gave you all this. I created all this. It's all mine, and I allowed you to share it, and you love it. You revel in it. 
You roll in it like a pig in slop. And it's me, 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 I did this. And they sang his song. And they applauded him. And they talked about his balls of steel or balls of grapefruits or jackhammer penis, whatever the fuck he used to have, the ball size. He got over with the fans. He told the stockholders, don't panic. I'm still running this. I'm fucking this dog. Nobody's even holding its head but me. And he rubbed it in everybody's face, right? That's what I thought. And I was almost wrong, Brian. I was almost wrong. You know how I was almost wrong? Because I almost let you lead me down the primrose path when you gave what was actually a well-reasoned and articulately laid out case that you thought that he was also with a with a tear in his eye and a show of emotion in his face as he stepped out of that ring you said he was also saying goodbye to the WWE universe he may never be on TV again and I almost went for that I almost bit on it you did it so artfully you ought to be the artful dodger you worker you I was actually, even by the time it was over with, I was a girl, well, maybe, maybe he did. Even though I know that Vince McMahon would rather have both of his testicles cut off and fed to a pelican on Long Island before he would give up the WWE, can he would claw and kick and scratch to stay on that television program. You brought me a suckered me, Brian. You know, I can't believe it took you like a week to abuse this breaking news apparatus that we have here now for YouTube. Uh, Less than a week. Yeah. Let's to abuse it. How I'm bringing the this could have waited news. for the experience. This isn't news. This is you gloating. No, the news. This the is news you gloating. Is, the news is how that my outlook was proven right, and your outlook was proven oh so incorrect. Is because he showed up and did the same thing on Monday Night Raw. He said if he was saying goodbye, it was goodbye for the weekend. Hey, I'm going to the fucking Hamptons. I'll see you on Monday. He was gone for three days, Brian. That's a lot. That's not a long goodbye. He aged like three years in three days. Did you notice that? <laughs> it was. It's the difference in the lighting. It was Plus, like a cognitive it, test. All of a sudden, I went a fifty-seven, one hundred and thirty-four. I did it. <laughs> what? What the hell is no, this? No, but no, no, no. Wait a minute. What it was? It was the lighting and the fact that he was up later because he was. He wasn't on the open. Of Raw, he was closer to the yeah. 9 o'clock hour. And I can tell you, I, at 60, by the time 9 o'clock rolls around, I'm snoozing. But no, here's the thing. He came back out on Monday Night Raw, and he did the same basic thing. It's this time he didn't announce he was going to be on there. But now you, he, it's this is even better, because <laughs> now you never know when he's going to pop up. <laughs> Really, I have to say that is now a genius thing. You know, yes. if he pops up on NXT tonight, that'll be the most genius move of all time. Because then you really don't know where he'll be. He's the wild card. Yes, it could it, at any point he could pop up. So uh, that was genius. Yeah, maybe in the legal and, department. And also think about and 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 he actually, I think he gave the most flimsy, opaque, transparent, see through of reasons to be on the show on purpose just so that he could deliver the message. So he comes and from the hot dog entrance, because Friday night on SmackDown, he didn't know. He wasn't sure, is there going to be a bunch of people that are going to boo me because I have, you know, uh, played Sticky Finger? 
Yeah, well, you know, the accusations against me. That wasn't What's exactly gonna... the accusation. <laughs> well, whatever the fucking case is, is he going to get booed? Or are they going to be apathetic? They were firmly behind him. So now on this one, he came out, he knew he had him. Because if it was the first night, it's going to be the same or even better as this goes on. So he's hot dogging. He's coming out. He's got the big smile. He's doing a hi when he's introduced. And that he's out for. This is episode number 1517 of Raw. <laughs> it's been on the air almost 30 years, actually 29, I think, like last month or whatever. And he thanks everyone for that because he, and you can tell now, it's, no, it's, the, it's the inoffensive caricature of the Mr. McMahon swagger when he comes out now because now he wants to subliminally paint the thought in people's minds as they're observing that he's he's a beloved iconic figure now no more of the heel that's gonna fucking do horrible perverse things to their favorite wrestlers you know in the in the uh search of money and greed and power he's softened it and but he's given it to them because that's what they want now and now they're loving it and when the people in the building that, as we said, are the ones most predominantly predisposed to be fans of Mr. McMahon, who's brought them all this, they're reacting like that. They're singing his song. They're cheering. They're clapping. They're, oh, my God, he's here. He's come back. It's like the fucking resurrection or whatever. Oh, they pop then, everyone's music. But no, but they're making sure to shoot the people, too. The point is. People see that. And also, if the other wrestlers, they may be boring, but nobody's currently under fucking multiple investigations and, uh, you know, potential misconduct, etc. So, but they love Vince, because that's the audience. And they love that he fucked around. He's the genetic jackhammer. That's his gimmick. So the people sitting at home, a few million of those, see those people acting that way. It's the best public relations. Vince, in a previous life, could have been William Randolph Hearst. But anyway, so he obviously babyfaces out and, and thanks everyone, and then he gives them something else that only he can provide for them. He, the, If it was the Twilight Zone episode, it would be the old man in the cave. He takes care of us. The man who's dominated 20 of Raw's 30 years, the greatest of all time. Fuck Hulk Hogan. Fuck Steve Austin. I can't bring them back right now. So this guy's the greatest of all time. And I'm not knocking John, but John Cena and the people. Yay! He comes out, lets them again know he's not going anywhere. You're going to be seeing him probably more often, if this is any indication. And oh, by the way, Friday night, Brock Lesnar showed back up. Tonight, here's the other missing biggest iconic still remotely active star in the entire industry that only i can bring you and the people smile and and fucking cheer and are happy and then he tosses the mic with the big smile steps out of the ring gets his foot caught almost trips laughs about that and to, and i know he's hot I know he's pissed when he got back to the gorilla position because once he got on the stairs, 
after he had stumbled to show the people he's still athletic, he jumped, free jumped off the fucking top of the stairs to the floor. But since the director or Kevin Dunn, somebody in the truck thought that he was going to take a head first to the floor, they cut away from his jump and you see him go, "Ah," and then boom, back to the announcers. But that was again, genius. He's rubbing it in everybody's face. And the point is, He's not rolling over and playing dead. He's not going gently into that good night. He's not going to take a midnight train to Georgia. I was right all along. Nobody's taking the WWE away from Vince McMahon without a tussle and a hustle. And you had him saying goodbye with a tear in his eye like Burl Ives at the end of a Christmas special in the 60s. Hmm. Last night was night two of the goodbye tour. For Vince McMahon. (laughs) I thought I felt bad for the people working on Ric Flair biographies right now. Because how do you end the book? (laughs) But the Vince McMahon biographers, I truly, truly feel bad for. Think about the year he's had just this year alone. Whatever point the payment was actually made, the follow-up to, I'm going to give my mistress $3 million to leave, was, and then I'll wrestle Austin at WrestleMania. (laughs) And then he went to WrestleMania, and he wrestled Steve fucking Austin, and then all this happened. When he wrestled Austin, they knew all this was about to come out. See, that's the thing, the the difference between... (laughs) That is balls of steel, I have to say. Oh, yeah, man, he'll he'll never go away. And the difference between me and Vince, besides the, you know, billion dollars and the variety of other differences... I'm so happy to just go out in my yard with a pole saw and a limb lopper and just nobody know what the fuck I'm doing or where I'm at and potentially ends. And sooner than later, that'll be a permanent thing in my retirement. Vince don't want to fucking go anywhere. And if his life is not a goddamn major motion picture three times a year, he's bored. He just needs ketchup, a paralegal, and the ability to fire Lou Albano and he'll be fine. All right, but now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Now we find out that Mr., and this is part of the other breaking news, Mr. Laurinaitis doesn't have the balls of steel or the ability to call his own shots, and he ain't been seen hiding her hair of at the WWE television events that he's normally at since all this broke. So we were right there that Mr. Laurinaitis may be Taking that midnight train to Georgia. Woo-hoo! He's leaving. But they have not... The new interim CEO, Stephanie McMahon, did not go on a worldwide search for the perfect interim talent relations guy. It just has suddenly become the person who currently occupies the job is, I believe the the title is executive producer of both raw and SmackDown, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, four years ago, Bruce wasn't even working there. <laughs> and then Bruce comes back to be the executive producer of one show. And then Vince gets mad at Bischoff and sends him back to fucking Montana or North Dakota, wherever the fuck he's at. And Bruce becomes the executive producer of both shows. And now Bruce is also the interim vice president of talent relations. And I believe, as I told Joe Coff one time, he can pop the corn too, Vince, but you might ought to prioritize at some point. But here's the thing. It's going to be 
It's going to be the fucking the last stand. Bruce Pritchard and That's Vince McMahon will be the last two employees in the WWE. I went to the roof of Titan Tower a couple of times. They've got a nice little roof garden out there. They used to have a, a little barbecue every so often. I didn't see a bell tower. But if if things go sideways and a lot of people start demanding for Vince McMahon to leave the premises and never return, expect to find Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard on in the roof garden and or bell tower if they can build one in time on top of 1241 East Main Street. And here that here one more thing, Brian. Let me give you this to chew on for a second. Are we we have been led to believe in the past that Stephanie McMahon, the the new boss, she's the big cheese, the head honcho, interim the, cheese, the the in the, the big head interim cheese, the interim honcho, the interim HBIC. We've been led to believe she wasn't the biggest fan of Bruce Pritchard's in the past. Seems like if she was running things, she'd have told her dad, you know, we need to bring somebody new in. Could it be? Could it be that she is only a figurehead, merely a symbol of uh, of who's in real charge of the WWE? What do you think? Chew on that one for a while there, pal. I believe it was Stephanie who fired Bruce uh, last time he was there. <laughs> whatever the story was, he took out a gun and he showed it to the writers or whatever. It was a crazy, inappropriate story that led to him being thrown out. And now he's there. This is absolutely the last stand. And it's Vince and the ultimate toadies, the ultimate lackeys. All the other ones, everyone who's ever been by his side is gone. Jim Troy, Pat Patterson, George Scott. Howard Finkel. Howard Howard Finkel. Poor poor Fink is gone. Fink Fink would be there serving as the drawbridge over the alligator-infested moat for Vince, but he's not able to do that. Remember when, like, at the end, Saddam Hussein, he would have, like, the one tall guard next to him with the mustache, and then the one next to him that, you know, kind of looked like Saddam Hussein? That's Bruce and Johnny. He's walking the halls with Vince. It's ridiculous. And but, but here, Stephanie, how, how much power does Stephanie actually have if Vince was stripped of CEO and chairman? However, he retains all creative power. So basically, he could do everything except whatever his CEO and chairman duties were. Those are run by Stephanie. And the first decision they made was to put Bruce Pritchard in charge of, on an interim basis, talent relations. You know who should have been put in charge of talent relations? Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> you know what? That is so brilliant that I'm, I'm not surprised they didn't do it. Because if anybody ever found out that Jeff would probably do a much better job than anybody else currently in that building, then all those other people currently in that building would never have that job. And they can't have that. But yes, he would be because he kept that band of merry misfits and TNA off times uh, under control. And this is a whole lot more polite generation. So that would have been and that would have been something that maybe gave the talent some kind of hope that it won't be the same old bullshit. It might be somebody else's bullshit. But at least it'll be one of the boys' bullshit instead of the same old bullshit from people who have never done what we're doing. Well, and Ace, he did it, but he didn't do it well. Does Johnny Ace return? When everything happened in the 90s, and boy, I wish there was a Donahue right now, but when everything happened in the 90s, 
Of course, everyone says now, and I'm not saying uh, that it isn't the case, but at the time they weren't saying it, everyone says now Pat Patterson was innocent. He was lumped in with Terry Garvin and Mel Phillips, yeah. who were both, I think I could say it, they were both pedophiles. One they with an went, obsession with I thought with you feet. were going with guilty as hell, but, you know, go Well, ahead. guilty as hell, but Pat Patterson, unfairly, because he was gay, was lumped in with them, even by people he was formerly friends with, like Billy Graham. Yeah. Vince stuck with Pat Patterson to the point where the leave of absence apparently was a sham leave of absence. Pat was still doing whatever Pat could, wanted to do in WWE at the time, 92. Do you think Vince has the same sort of attitude towards a Johnny Ace? That, oh, I, I, okay, I, you got to play this out, but you'll come back. Just sit tight. I think he does. That would be his first inclination. Uh, I don't know whether now with the difference between now and Pat's situation 30 years ago is Vince could then could really do anything he wanted to do and nobody could even question it because it wasn't publicly traded. There wasn't outside investigations. They were there. Nobody from outside was allowed to investigate the company unless somebody's being charged with a crime. So, you know, Pat could go away publicly for a while, but still be in close contact and and piddle around behind the scenes until the, the heat blew over that other people had caused and he didn't have anything to do with. But in this case, you know, you may have to chop some of the offending tumor off just to make it a little bit more cosmetically pleasing, even if you can't cure the whole thing. And the, and. I would think Johnny would go before Vince would go. But here's something else I was thinking about, because I see a pattern, Brian. Think about this. The paralegal in question, the illegal paralegal. She well, no, comes she, in. She, was, there was, she wasn't illegal in any way. Let's not. Well, yeah, well, we don't know. Was she a licensed paralegal or was she just hired as a paralegal? Don't you have to have a license to be a paralegal? No she could one, have been an illegal paralegal. No one has accused her in any way of being an illegal paralegal. A term I didn't even know existed until right well, now. Well, yeah, that's one of those people that don't have a legal license to be a legal paralegal. They become an illegal paralegal and then they can't write writs. That oh, are, that no. are right. They're, they're rotten writs. <laughs> they're rotten writs that these people write because oh, I'll tell you, if you get a legal paralegal and you've read the writs, the writs that they've written, you'll know they're really well-written writs. But the rotten writs that the illegal paralegals write, well, they're just not right. But anyway. <laughs> no, they're not. So for the first year, she gets a hundred grand. Then for the second year, she gets two hundred grand. And then for the third year, she gets to go away and go home with $3 million. She keeps she gets more responsibility and more money, and then finally she gets to go away. By the way, are they hiring? Well, I just mentioned that Bruce Pritchard in 2018, he wasn't even working there. So he comes 2019 to 2020, he's the executive producer of one of the programs. 2020 to 21, he's the executive producer of both the programs. 2021 to 2022. He's now the executive producer of both programs and the head of talent relations. Is his next step, is he getting $3 million to go home? Three years, $3.3 million altogether. That's what, that's who the, the illegal paralegal got or what Bruce got? She wasn't an illegal paralegal, and that has not been in any way claimed except by you here miraculously for some reason here today. I'm saying the position. I wasn't going to say the position. What position was the The amount of money for, in? for two years. Well, I guess I'm counting the third year as being the uh, year she got the payoff. I don't know what I'm saying. 
I don't know what you're this saying. This is breaking what, news. What kind of what kind of news do you have on the position she was in? Was it a particular payoff depending on the position at the time that she was in? What about reverse cowgirl? Did you see Vince in the ring? Did you see Vince trying to lift his arms up? Yeah, that I, I have an that, opinion. I have a feeling there's only one or two positions that were possible. Well, <laughs> it looks like some of his flexibility has left the building. You know, Marilyn Monroe used to live in a cottage. <laughs> someone tweeted on, us. Someone tweeted us a fucking picture of Bobby Eaton. And I think it's Bash ninety one on the scaffold, and Vince is falling off. <laughs> <laughs> that was his jump from. But Marilyn Monroe used to live in a cottage on the estate of Joe Skink, the big movie mogul. And she was there, according to what she told Hollywood columnist James Bacon, she was there to have immediate access to the main house because back in the, well, whatever this was, the early 50s, there was no Viagra and he actually had to have a hypodermic injection into the side of his... uh his snavits to get uh, to get that thing to stand up all the way. So and then he would call for Marilyn, and she would take her sweet time getting up to the main house while he was sitting there. Way oh hurry hurry hurry! And I'm just wondering if you know you you mentioned Vince's arms. They they sort of went up half mast and then they stopped. They couldn't get up all the way. I'm just wondering if he should have had a shot of some kind of lubricator so he could have got his arms all the way up over his head. Maybe so. But the illegal like the paralegal. You, you say Vince is like the Tin Man now? <laughs> he needs oil? Well, is a Tin Man or Joe Skink, either one. Joseph. It just depends on what, you, what you're looking for in your Hollywood analogies and similes. In some ways, maybe more of a Harry B. Cohn. Or it's, it's certainly Harry in some respects, <laughs> but potentially not. Uh, but anyway, so nevertheless, I'll tell you what. I heard that paralegal's been in more laps than a napkin, so you got you got. Stop that. it! No, there's oh, nothing, right, no, there's just, no reason to defame the anonymous person who did girl, nothing wrong. Who did nothing wrong? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. Possibly immoral with a with a with married men, one of whom's wife is suffering from brain cancer. Possibly distasteful, since one of the uh, alleged men was. 35 years older than she was and and certainly and not in a very well preserved state at least cosmetically but nothing nothing legally wrong that we that she's been accused of or has been able to be proven i'm sure vince is looking or jerry mcdivitt's looking well that the only thing that and I don't want to go on too long about this. This was supposed to be a quick breaking news story. <laughs> I'm just having but so much fun. The only and, I, and again, I was right. Go ahead. The only thing is, again, this story got out because a best friend anonymously got in touch with the board of directors to say this happened, which in and of itself violates the NDA, because how would she know? How I assume it's a she. How would the I think it was a she. How would the friend know? Well, there is a good question, and and people have brought that up, but they're not focusing on it. And I'm wondering if was it one of the NDAs that says you're not allowed to tell anybody except your best friend forever, and then it's okay, but nobody else than that, or whether and indeed she would technically be in violation of the non-disclosure agreement for disclosing the fucking agreement. 
you know, NDAs with employees leaving a company is one thing, but when it's completely, seemingly completely due to an affair, or maybe in a series of affairs, we don't know for sure, that's where, you know, it's a little different. And we haven't seen, you know, a few years ago with Me Too, with Harvey Weinstein and all these things, a lot of these NDAs actually you don't- You and Weinstein? I didn't, you never told me you oh, even stop met it. him. Please. I didn't realize that- You and to... Weinstein and Swifty, let's not talk about New York right now. Ah. Uh... But we saw a lot of NDAs get ripped up. A lot of courts not enforce the NDAs. A lot of NDAs kind of be shamed into going away and people being released from their NDAs, which I don't think will ever happen with Vince McMahon or Jerry McDivitt. The other interesting thing, I guess, is Jerry McDivitt Vince's personal attorney now? And I, th- I think they've got kind of a, a Trump Giuliani fucking relationship going on. I think he's so much more competent than Rudy Giuliani that that's completely unfair. Well, well, I didn't mean to, to compare either one of them to that. That's the relationship. No matter what kind of business is going on, the monkey business goes straight to Rudy. Wasn't I he getting ready to retire? The monkey business is going to go straight to Jerry McDivitt. No, he's not allowed to retire until Vince does. I read some interview where he's like getting ready to retire. Can you imagine the phone rings and it's Vince again? It's like, oh, what now? I need the payer to go away. Who, Linda? No, no. <laughs> the paralegal. Jerry, this will only take three or four years of your time. Johnny Ace fucked it all up. <laughs> but now you have claimed, <laughs> you have, he signed the wrong one-legged paralegal. You have, <laughs> you have, <laughs> 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 I forgot all about the one-legged wrestler and then it just makes everything better. <laughs> you you, I will say this, and we might better do a Costanza and get the flock out of here. But you have, have claimed that this this peril, this illegal paralegal, is also a serial affairer, is what you're I saying. I did not say but, that. Well, you did see it could be a series of affairs, a serial affairer, if and it, she did was, series from one to the. She segued at least from one to the next. I'm talking about at least Johnny Ace and Vince. If we can, well, if we we're can not even slut sure. shame, if we can slut shame Laurenitis, <laughs> we're slut shaming Laurenitis for 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 <laughs> dipping little Willie in somebody else's fucking pond when his poor wife at home that's that was kind enough to the world to spit out the Bella twin. She's suffering ill health and he's off philandering, and and also with Vince, with there's poor Linda. Down in Florida, living a life of luxury, not to divorce him and take half the company, and 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 you're accusing this this fine, upstanding, illegal paralegal of being a serial affairer from going from one affair to another. A, a married not, and entangled men. No, a I'm not. B, do you think Johnny Ace ever sends Mrs. Baba a dick pic? And three, hey. three. My other point is. I want to clarify, because you're actually right. I shouldn't say it that way. The affair with Vince is now known. The affair with Johnny Ace is being assumed because of the quote from the friend who says she was passed to Johnny Ace like a toy. And everyone's assuming that means a sexual toy. But it may not. It, it may be a basketball. He's, he's using her for a fucking slinky? She look at her walk down the stairs on her head, on her feet, on her head, on her feet. It's... It's legal. It's legal for fun. It's a wonderful toy. Well, paralegal, but that's not. It's barely legal. (laughs) We don't. (laughs) We will find out if it's legal. The board of directors will tell us how legal. It's barely legal, paralegal. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's going to be the next gimmick. You know what? I tell you what, old Tony Khan ought to get that girl on his roster with the blue hair and the glasses and make her the barely legal paralegal. What that happens? that would propel that young lady to stardom in the wrestling business. What happens then the next young lady who applies for that job and she's on the interview? <laughs> what happened to the last person who had my job? Well, <laughs> she <laughs> she made $3,300,000 in two years. Sign me up. All right. Well, this was going to yeah. be breaking news, and um, I think we broke it. You're trending. Oh, by the way, God. as we are recording, you're trending, and I I can't figure out why. What on on Twitter again? Yeah, as we started recording, on the side of the screen, on the uh, right side, has what's happening and has various things trending, and under sports trending was Jim Cornette. What have I done? I don't know because I clicked. <laughs> I clicked it. And there's just a collection of various people, good and bad, mostly good, actually, talking about you, either talking about one of the videos we put up or talking about a segment on the show or talking about Maki Ito and your relationship or Adam Page was whining on Twitter. So some people think he was talking about you, but it seems to be no, well, that, this is not Uncle Dave related. This me. is just a, a, a random, you're, you're randomly trending for no good reason, it appears. Yeah. You know the reason why I'm trending, Brian? No. Because I'm me, baby. Oh, God. I'm just me. And everybody got to talk about me. All right. Well, there'll be more talking about Jim on the drive-thru. The Jim, Jim Cornette's drive-thru is actually the name yeah. of the show. Which will yeah. be out. Which will be out tomorrow at some It's point. all about me. It's my drive-thru. It's my experience. All y'all are just along for the ride because I'm trendy, baby. You know what? I'm gonna trademark. I'm gonna trademark the trender. The trender. Yeah. If 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 Jericho can be a goddamn uh, uh, wizard, then I can be a trender. I'm gonna trademark that, and that way, anytime anybody trends, I've got them trademarked. Can you trademark super wizard? You know the ultimate wizard. The ultimate wizard. Trademark. <laughs> That's what. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> From, uh, I'd just like to say thank you for joining us on the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel for this breaking news bit. And uh, just remember, for Brian Last, I'm the ultimate wizard, Jim Cornette, and I'm trendy, baby. While every other pizza company out there is trying new things on top of their pizza, Papa John's just flipped pizza night on its head by doing something completely new on the bottom. Introducing the new crispy parm pizza with a layer of buttery toasted Parmesan cheese baked on the underside of our signature thin crust. That's because we know the first thing your tongue touches when you take a bite is the bottom. So try the new crispy parm pizza from Papa John's. It's living awesome.